Hello, good evening, and welcome to another edition of the Cantina MX podcast. I think we're up to 132, 132 shows. A show that started out as Los Cachirules, the Dos Acero podcast. We had a, a very special Siete Acero edition of the podcast back in the summer of 2016. The Dos Acero podcast. And then, of course, the Cantina MX podcast, which is where you are tonight. Uh, glad to have you with us this evening. My name is John Jagu. I have a very, very special show tonight because we're gonna we're gonna talk. We're gonna actually be, be nice to Chivas tonight. Something we're not we don't do on the show very often. Even the Chivas fans aren't nice to Chivas on the show. Well, we're gonna be nice to Chivas tonight in their their big win in Toronto in the Concacaf Champions League. Also, we're talking Estadio Azul. Chiquis, right before we got on the air, uh, Albert Campo was saying, I'm so sad because this is this is the last game that the, 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 it's going to be played at the Estadio Azul. It's got a, it's got a really unique history, the Estadio Azul. Uh, more, uh, we'll discuss that tonight, probably some stuff you don't know. And then uh, we'll also talk a little about Liguilla, and then we'll uh, we'll end the show about uh, the uh, Pacto de Caballeros and whether or not it's going to go away and if players are going to be able to get the... Uh, the free agency that they have long coveted. We'll cover all that. Uh, and, of course, we have an interview, how could I forget, with uh, SI.com's uh, Luis Miguel Chagaray. He is the uh, head of their uh, Spanish language and Latino content and is also a one of the co-hosts on, uh, on Planet Football on SITV. So very, very much looking forward to talking to him about Peru and their chances in the upcoming World Cup and some other odds and ends in the world of soccer. So we're glad to have him on as well. But we do have with us this evening, joining us from South Los Angeles, a man who just got back from making Indian headdresses in Coachella. They were so good, they decided to call them the Coachella to Coachella. Coachella Seves joins us Coachella. from Los Angeles. Coachella, that's right. <laughs> How are you doing, Joel? Pretty good, John. I just want to say, for a brief, for a brief moment, we were the Dos a Uno podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the the yeah. Dos a Uno podcast. Well, it was after you're the, absolutely correct. the CONCACAF Champions Cup, if I'm not mistaken. I believe, I believe, uh, actually, it was after the, uh, the the Columbus game. It was the, the when the oh, Mexico was, won in Columbus. Oh, yeah, you're right. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it, no, but, but it, right, right. right. it was in Tibas. It was in Tibas, yeah. You're, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So yeah, we couldn't use it no more. That's right. So we had to we had to change the name of the show, and that's what we put. And, and I was hoping it would be the podcast, the Caballeros, but but yeah. uh, but but uh, but we yeah. but, but uh, the, 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 the the people spoke and said it was Cantina, <laughs> Cantina Mekis podcast. Yeah, that's true. Was uh, was one, and, and 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 I think it works. I think it works for us. And I'm actually I'm actually enjoying, uh, if, if you don't mind, and uh, Joel. Uh, well, first of all, I have to ask you. Uh, we'll get to Chiquis in a second, and I know we have to ask Chiquis this question. But I will ask you what what, what has the uh, what has the the barkeep rustled up for you this evening, Hoyle? I have a Stella, some Belgian Belgian yeah. brew. Stella it's Artois. It's lo que estaba en el refri. Is that what yeah. the uh, what all the all the youths down in South Los Angeles drink? Stella. No, you know, it was it was um. Me, me regalaron vasos, John. There was a little truck, and they're like, if you buy a 12, I'll give you four big uh, challenges. Joel, Joel you're, not, you're not saying that a couple of cases fell off the truck, are you? 
No, no compré. Just check it. Just check it. Well, I, I myself, am, I'm also usually I have a I have a, a, a Victoria Modelo, but today it's a kind of a big day. We had a good day here on the podcast. I'm actually celebrating with a with a, with, a, with a little bourbon. Are you celebrating that Pumas finally won? I am indeed. Delicious bourbon, brownest of the brown liquors. So tempting. What's that? You want me to drink you, but I'm in the middle of a trial. Anyway, yes, so I, <laughs> I am enjoying a, a glass of bourbon. With us all also uh, in Kyle, Texas, who uh, along with me enjoyed, frankly, a spectacular day in Central Texas. The weather could not have been better. Is uh, Albert and Chiquiscampa joining us? Albert, how are you, sir? What's up, Juan? Yeah, doing good. Yeah, and, and Juan is right, Chiquis. We we have we 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 finally earned the right to celebrate because Pumas, Pumas actually actually won a game. They they got a, to a very critical plateau in, in numbers, which was uh, getting to twenty points. Very big for Pumas to get that win over uh, Puebla. But yeah. that's not the biggest win of the weekend. Not not or, or, or over the past week. Not by a long shot. Uh, we do have to send it down to our 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 correspondent in in Mexico City, Lady Aguila. Let's see what she has to say about what happened over the past week. Primero que nada, hay que felicitar a Chivas porque ganaron bien. La neta, hay que dejarnos de tonterías. I don't think. Uh, Lady Aguila could have said it any better. Joel, Chivas <laughs> ganaron y ganaron bien. Got the two-one yeah. win over Toronto, where no one, frankly, no one was uh, was <laughs> no, 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 no le daba ni un quinto a Chivas, Joel. Not even in Mexico. No. Even here, we, we we talked about how Toronto were favorites, and Chivas did. They took the risk of of um, you know just playing with with the suplentes in the league. Which they still had a fighting chance, and they they tanked it. And there was a lot of criticism, but it's it's a risk that's paying off. It is. Well, you know, Chivas is a, is a team that doesn't. You know, they don't have a a roster of you know nineteen, twenty, twenty one guys where which one would consider quote unquote first teamers yeah. to play two tournaments. So if they were going to play two tournaments, they they had to make a decision. Well, yeah, I'm gonna say sacrifice, not risk. It was a sacrifice, which I'm he- I'm hearing they're gonna do it again because they have the Clásico coming up against Atlas, and the word and you is know what's that- gonna happen. You know what's gonna happen, right? Well, like, I don't have to tell you. I'll have to tell you what's gonna happen. You. Well, why don't you tell? Why don't you tell everyone what's gonna happen? Well, I mean, who's gonna win? You know what? Equal suplentes. Equal suplentes. Who's no. gonna win? They they, they took the last one. They took the last one, and this is a special classical for Atlas because I believe it's the last one that Marquez is playing. So it's his last game at the Jalisco. That's right. And uh, they're gonna go all out. This is, and I think under their new coach, they they haven't lost a game. So, so let me ask you again: What's so, going? <laughs> no, <laughs> you think so? Huh? I, so? I saw an ad. You know what I saw an ad, and it was talking about. It, it was like an actual billboard that the team posted up in Jalisco, and it said, 
who needs championships when you have Clásicos? I'm going to look for it for them. It's something along those lines. So, I mean, it, it just goes to show how much that game means for them. Well, I just, you know, I, I think because of the fact that it's this Rafa's last game, and it's the, and they're gonna, I just, I just have a feeling it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be uno cero feo, but uno cero chivas, uno cero chivas, uno cero chivas. Anyway, so now one thing I, I will say about, I know that there were there, there were folks, including me, who said that, and and, and rightly so, that Toronto were the favorites, uh, and they still are. It's, you know, I mean, it's it's not like Chivas yeah. has got this thing in the bag. I mean, Toronto can still. I mean, it, it, it won't, they don't have to do all that much in order for them to uh, to get an advantage. But yeah. we did say also on this podcast that several of us said that, that there are things that Chivas could do to, uh, to, to 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 get the result. And I think that, that that you know, once again, I'm sure, you know, Almeida, you know, as part of his uh, weekly routine, probably, you know, maybe on the on, on the on the drive to the office on Monday, downloads on iTunes the Cantina Mekis podcast. <laughs> And uh, you know, and compares his strategies with uh, what he wants to do, and 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 the advice that that is given to him on the show. And I mean, it was it was it was pretty obvious to me that he that he took it all to heart, and and Chivas was able to uh, to you know the, the 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 recipe that they used for the win was was outstanding. Get an early, I mean, they couldn't have gotten an earlier goal. They scored in the first minute of the game. And the guy that scores it is a guy that, that has to have a good game in order for them to win, which is which is Pizarro, and he ends up having a terrific game. And uh, now they, they did allow an equalizer, but then they got another goal on a set piece that you know, frankly, was the pura chiripa. But you know what? It goes in. It's a final. Who cares? And 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 they and they and it's and on top of it, on top of it, it's snow. You know, they they do it in the snow. So I mean, it's like they went beyond the wall, and 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 and, and did what they had to do. And, and 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 now they're coming back through the gates. Overconfidence on the side of Toronto. Coming in as underdog can sometimes be advantageous. Now you know one thing. I hope that Rigo joins us a little later, who uh, uh, cheekies. But you know he pointed out, and rightly so, that that, that Toronto let. Chivas play a little more. I mean, New York Red Bulls did did nothing of the sort. They were they pressured Chivas the entire the entire ninety minutes of, of both legs. I mean, they they had somebody on a player the minute that they that they had the ball. They did not let them walk around and pedal and and back and do all that stuff. They did not let uh, Chivas do any of that. And Toronto kind of let Chivas play. You know, they, they they both let each other play their game. And you know, and, and again, a situation like that, it seemed like. Uh, you know that, that that played a little more into into Chivas's favor, and on, and on top of it, you know, at least for me, you know, the players that had to have good games in order in order for Chivas to uh, to, to get the result had to be their best players. And in this case, it was I think it was uh, uh, Pizarro and then Orbelin who was outstanding in the midfield, the, the best game he's played in in a year and a half in the midfield, or at least a year. And then uh, Pulido, not necessarily for his goal, but he had a great defensive play. You know, he just he held the ball up when he had to hold it up. I mean, he just it was it was a, it was it was a smart game, which is why I think uh, Joel that uh, if if Almeida wants it, he could he could stay at Chivas for a while. I think that he's earned the right to, you know, maybe be that guy that gets to stay for five or ten years. Yeah, I mean, that would be a big win, just given just because 
it's at the international stage. And like we said before, they took away, he was going to be a Libertadores, which was a massive, I think it was a massive loss for a club like Chivas when Mexican sure. players were, were at that tournament. You get, you do well and your value just goes up. The, you know, European scouts are going to value you that much more. So yeah, it was, it was a, you know, very unfortunate, but you know, to, to be at the club's World Cup, that, that's like that, that vitrina that Chivas has, hasn't had in a while. And, um, I think just, just because what he, all, all that he has won, all the titles he's been winning, he's, and he's a fan favorite. So, so what, what was being reported earlier was, was that the players had turned on, on Higuera. Is that so? Yeah, yeah. That, was um, it because of the uh, of, of of the way the, that they were being treated, like like the baseball team in Major League, with the uh, <laughs> with the owner with, that wanted to sell the team, withholding their payments and uh, yeah. So they were. I think it was on the flight back, on the flight back from Toronto when uh, they reported that yeah, Higuera was trying to talk to the players, to the coach, and that they were just giving them the cold shoulder. Wow. So yeah, and I was expecting the opposite. I was thinking, you know, because um, the Anda coming in, that he was gonna have more more leverage, you know. And Meda obviously wanted Galindo, Galindo Senior there on the side. True. But who knows, man? Who knows what happens in that in that novella? Um, but yeah, he he could stay. I mean, I know he wants a national team. I know he wants he would like a national team or to go abroad. But well, I'll, I'll tell you, there is. Uh, I, I keep, you know, and the more I think about it, you know, especially if, if he wins this tournament. I mean, you know, I, we we I, we ran out in the poll. Now, not that many people voted on the poll, but I thought it was very interesting. Oh, in the poll that we ran last week on the on our on our, on our Twitter handle, I guess. Was it of, of the people that voted, uh, the majority that overwhelming the overwhelming majority that won was that that people want like a like a systems guy to come in and coach the national team the next. Oh, that's next right. Time. You were you were like you my were. very scientific poll, <laughs> and I I just think that you know at at this point you know Mexico is who they are. I mean, are they? Could they get better? Sure. Could they get worse? But I mean, it, it is what it is. So why don't you bring in a guy that's going to give you the best chance of advancing in, in the thing that you covet the most, which is tournaments? Is, is the next qualifier? Is is it the last hex, or is it going to I be? Think, the... no, I, well, I think that they're there. That they're uh, some uh, confederations are pushing FIFA to make the next uh, World Cup. Uh, the 48 team one, but, uh. Yeah, they don't want to wait, huh? No, they don't want, yeah, cause they want their seven teams in, yeah, but, uh, so, uh, I don't know if that's gonna happen or not, but, yeah, but it would, in all likelihood, it will, it will, it will be the last hex. Well, you know, that's a tournament too. Yeah, well, I've been critical on Almeida, John. 
you you're you more, have been. You're more. Um, you write them hard. You write them hard. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean just, but you, but you know, I, I will say, Joel, that you do, but 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 your criticism is is, is almost always constructive. I mean, you're yeah. not, you're not, you, I mean, it, you, it's not out of, it's not out of hate that you criticize them. You're not just, you're not, you're not a grenade thrower. You're, you're very valid in your, in, in, in your criticism, but you're also are very, will be the first to say, Hey man, this guy's doing this really well. Yeah. So you always uh, give credit where credit is due. No, you're, very, you're fair. You're fair with him. He's, he's a good in cup tournaments, but I'm saying his, his home record, it's pretty bad. You know, oh. if you go season through season, the amount of wins Chivas has had at the the at the Akron, it's it's very few. And even big wins, there's almost like none. There's like maybe a three zero versus Cruz Azul like two years ago. So I mean, I think that's one thing you need in, in at least during qualifiers. You need to win at home and you need to win big. Right. Um, you know, and that's that's the long qualifiers. What is it? Like, what, like around sixteen games, fourteen games. Yeah, fourteen. They have the little quadrangular, and then uh, yeah, so six, that's six, six there, sixteen games. That would be my worry, you know. Not, so not that you know, but but I mean, with with the amount of of um, with, with the amount of boletos going, he should be fine. So he might not, he might not. Well, you got the panzazo, you know, to right. the tournament, and that's 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 where the whole thing kicks in, where it's like, especially with with Osorio having done such a great tournament. I mean, are the are the fans and and is the media going to say, you know what? Well, he's the short tourney type of guy. Uh, you know, are they are they going to be patient? Almeida's, you guys, you just said pretty much proves that Almeida's uh, a, a decent coach, maybe a good coach, but not a great coach. He's he's not gonna bring a national team or even a higher um, level team than Chivas to anything great. He he pretty much said he's he was an underdog against Chivas. How can you say that though? I mean, he's I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's, he's a relatively young guy. He was an underdog against I mean, against Tigres. He took advantage of that, and he's doing the same thing against uh, Toronto. The Copa MX was sort of like Copa MX, so he won that. But then his home record, like you're talking about, his yeah, bottom of the table currently MX. Well, in first division, it's even when he was in Argentina. You know, first division, it, he was always around at the mid table mark. He was never fighting for the top spots. Well, um, if you're in the mid-table mark in the hex, you go to the World Cup, and then I don't see him being like. I mean, put the audio shortly, but the uh, let's let's not forget. I don't see him, and, 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 and you guys make some very valid points, both of y'all, and, and and it's something to be considered. But let's not forget that you know it's not as if uh, you know coaches are 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 are, are tripping themselves. And, and you know, tackling each other to to, to get to Femex Foot to become the next Mexican national team coach. Well, the money so, is there, though, John. Yeah, they're ready to make it rain if they could, find the the right coach. The, you know, I can see. Him, yeah, I can see him in a low percentage chance of him getting the Mexican job, but it's still a possibility. 
Osorio, I think, pretty much ruined his chance to get a huge job that I think he was looking for after Mexico. Um, I mean, Osorio could always renew if he has a really good cup, you know. If he gets to the second round and all he has to do is look good against Brazil. Not to beat him, just just look good. Uh, so that they say just just like La Volpe. Yeah. <laughs> Argentina 2006. I don't think you that's it's funny, John. I think we're the no only ones. Tuvieron una sola llegada. <laughs> John, I think I think we're the only ones that see it that way. You I hear think... fans talk about it, and they they make it seem like it was an epic, an epic match. I'm sorry, Chiquis. Take it away. And I was I was just gonna say, real quick, I think he needs to beat Brazil to to get any kind of clout. Oh, to Chiquis, Chiquis, come on, man. You don't know the Mexican fans. No, oh, man, they hate him. You, you just gotta look good. No, I mean, if you if you play a good game. That's all you need, man. No, because they good, just don't want to feel bad. This <laughs> game has happened so many times. We're used to it, and with all the hate, even the press gives to Osorio. Not, not so many times because the the, the dos acero was was pretty bad, and uh, the the two one defeat to Germany that the team looked good. Argentina, they look good. Well, sort of look good, and then no, yeah, no, they, they, I mean, they were okay. La Volpe was. They did not look good. Volpe was praised for that. He 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 almost had a chance. For what he was praised. The only you know you know what happens, John. I think people confuse or they mix. You know the memory mesh, the the Confederaciones game, which was a much better game. Right. No, you're probably yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I see that and they score in the fourth minute, right, on on a set piece, no less. Yeah. A, a great goal. Don't get me wrong. And then Jared has a shot like five minutes later, and they they do nothing for a for a hundred the other hundred ten minutes. But they I mean, La nothing. Lavolpe was praised for a staunch defense in that game, which is sort of pitiful. But he was still praised. He came out on top. He came out, you know, not not too bad. Looked, well, you know, looked, that's that's fine to get the staunch defense and then win in penalty kicks, you know. Don't lose 2-1 to one in extra right. time. That's why I don't agree. That's why I'm glad he never got, you know, re-signed. And in the same case with Osorio, if he plays, okay, not bad like like Mexico did versus Argentina, but if he, he has them playing good and they still lose to Brazil, then... But, he, but do you know what the thing with Osorio is that he, he came in mid-cycle, you know, and, and he's, he's to use... Mid cycle? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, Sorry, and, came, he came in after the Gold Cup. Said his first his first official match was the first qualifier. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, came. Well, I mean, but but to use to use John's word, he's a systems guy. He came in to implement a new system to do yeah. rotaciones and to do all this and and for something like that, it it takes long, much longer than what he's had. He would have to also have control of like the Olympic team, you know, and the U20s. Yeah, which he would, he would take that. So I mean, I I know I don't like him, but but for his, for me, for his thing to work, he would need all of that, and then we could probably see how how well it does. Yeah. So what what would you like better uh, as a or for to be resigned Osorio or to have a systems guy like Bielsa come in? You know what? Even though I don't like them, if it, if the team looked decent, I wouldn't mind if they resigned them. 
Interesting. We need Ronnie B- to come up. Bielsa, I like Bielsa, but Bielsa is Bielsa is crazy. You know which one you're quick. You quit before you could fire him. I mean, he exactly. He, he rarely finishes. He he'll rarely finish. You know, he he was he rarely finishes like a, a project. He leaves. He always leaves like halfway through or not even halfway. So yeah, it's I mean, Ganta, yeah. It's like it's it's, it's, it's like it's a total roll of the dice with that guy. <laughs> you you know what? I would like him as an maybe like an advisor role or like a general manager type role, but not as the not as the coach. You know where I think he would be outstanding, uh, Bielsa would, would be to to head up head up the youth to where the results don't matter. You know, just just let him just let him let him coach. Let him, you know. L- 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 if they're going to play that that system, you know, you know, you know, start them to where by the time they're 24, 25, they've been playing in it for seven years. You know, so they know it backwards and forwards. That to me, if you're going to bring a Bielsa in, that's where you put him. Well, given his track record, he might end up in Mexico again. He could, uh, he could very well um, do that. So, Joel, they play next week back in Guadalajara. And yeah. they have the the tapatio, which 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 you know they're gonna win. I mean, let's face it. Sorry, Atlas no. fans. No, sorry, my, Atlas. My, my crystal ball says Atlas takes it. Really? Yes. Well, it's it, it's it's hard to argue with <laughs> the Walter Mercado of of, of the Cantina Mexico podcast because you, you you it is eerie. You know, we we should compare the the predictions that you make and the and the, and the and just the, the 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 general policy positions that 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 Fernando had when he was on the show, where his oh. <laughs> his uh, and, and, and see who and who has been right more. Yeah, because because both of you guys have just have struck some uh, some some very impressive uh, some have made some very impressive hits with with some of your. Uh, like, but remember, he was the governor. He never owned up. He never owned up to when he struck out. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. We used to, like, like we were being questioned. <laughs> yeah. By the by, the judiciary committee. He, he would pull some of those out of the ether, but he did. He he did get a, he did get quite a few right. So, Joel, next week, are we going to have to start the show with a... It's looking that way. You think so, huh? Well, I mean, the odds are in favor of the home team. Um, And despite what I said about Almeida's record at home, uh, you did point something out important the other day to me, that all his... All his games at at the um, Concacaf Champions, he's won all the home games. Yep. So I mean, that, that's that's good, you know. That's good, and I think I think the team's hyped. And you you have players that you know they they want to go to the World Cup or they want to be seen or or in back of their mind if they do miss the World Cup. They know that the next best thing is going to be a club's World Cup. Sure. 
So that's that's big motivation right there because I, I know some of these guys want to leave, you know. They see what Chucky's doing, they they wanna they wanna go out there too. You, there's like Chris, yeah. Pizarro, Grisuela, probably even Pulido, you know. He's he's still fairly young. And, and Chucky's Chucky scored mm-hmm. another one. He got, he had 16 goals. I want if if he's not leading the the league, he's tied for first. So he's had a just a terrific season. Now one guy I do want to talk about before we uh, before we get to the interview with uh, with uh, Luis Miguel Chagaray, who joins us to uh, talk uh, among other things, Group C in Peru uh, here on the Cantina Mekis podcast. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, Rodolfo Pizarro because I know that he's been kind of a kind of a lightning. Uh, Rayos for us to uh, uh, kind of a polarizing figure, and it's not that you know we we think that he's a bad player. At least, at least, at least I believe. I just believe that he's just unfortunately just is is just not consistent enough to to take the next step yet. I mean, I mean, you know, he might get there someday, but but when he's good, he's outstanding, and he was outstanding the other night. He was he was terrific uh, uh, in. Uh, in, in Toronto, obviously getting the goal, but just, but just in, in the way that he managed the game, it was, you know, you can see why people are so frustrated with like me because it's like, dude, if he could do that all the time, then, then, then you would, you know, if he, if he wanted to, he could play wherever he wanted. I mean, then, then that's just the reality. And, uh, th- that's where I have frustration with him. And, and it seems like that's always been, uh, more often than not, the, you know, the, the case with 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 Mexican players is like is like you see the glimpses of how great they can be, and they show it, but they just don't show it often enough in order for them to make that to to make that next step. So, is Pizarro capable to take? Is he going to be the one that takes that next step, Chiquis? I think uh, we talked about it a little bit, and it, it's coming in, at least into my mind um, to be to be a true fact that he he just plays really well. When he's like the main guy on the team, Chiva, the Chivas style of play and the, their tactics and everything, have him as the main guy that's controlling the ball and, and doing everything. And in Osorio's uh, tactics, I don't think that's the case. I think his position in Osorio, uh, anybody can do. Gio can do, Bella can do, um, Herrera and Guardado can do it. So uh, I think it's just a difference. Um, he has to have be in the right team to be able to do well. And with Chivas, he's, he's that guy, but even in Chivas, like you say, the inconsistencies um, are there. And sometimes he holds, he holds on to the ball a little bit too long, but, but yeah, he's definitely brilliant. Definitely very talented on the ball and everything. Um, he does have a great goal celebration too. I will, I will give him that. I, I like, I like his, uh, I got he's got good moves on his goal celebration. I used to like it. And then it sort of, it oh, sort of oh, oh. got ruined for me. I don't, I don't know mentally. After uh, uh, Chiva Hermana started doing it. Oh no! <laughs> I, I saw her do it. Like first I thought, okay, uh, Pizarro does it. It's pretty cool. And then she started doing it. Then I go look at Pizarro again, and I'm like, I don't know. It looks like sort of girly for Pizarro to be dancing that way. <laughs> so you would prefer kind of like way Jurgen, you know, you know, uh, when 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 Ronaldo takes off a shirt and does the Jurgen Dam pose. Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that what you like? That's manly, yep. Jurgen Dan without a shirt on. That's that's some manly stuff right there. <laughs> Jurgen Dan in pictures like, I dare you to kick sand on this chest. <laughs> yeah, Pizarro probably has like a, you know, a little bit of 
Harry Manchester there to go. So you should you should definitely Wait, cut us. So if uh, Chickies, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Should I should I should I do do Howard and I need to give you a, give you a minute, Chickies? <laughs> have a, a minute of private time here before before we move on. Uh, continue. All right, all right, all right. Well, see now, now I've lost, now I've lost my train of thought. You've you've made me very uncomfortable, Chickies. No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Uh, if if Pizarro has another good game. Does it merit his inclusion on Mexico's 23-man roster for the World Cup? Because you know who's coming back this week. Oh. Your hesitation tells me que no. If Pizarro does well? Yeah. He convinced me this last game. I think he needs to. I think he needs to give be given a shot. I don't think he'll play that much, but I think he needs a shot. You know, I said no, but I think it'll put him in the break glass in case of emergency spot. Oh, when they have the inevitable injury. Yeah, someone gets injured, and, and or you need a player of that. Oh, that guy is. He, he he's the guy that criticized, right? He criticized. Yeah, he Pizarro was the one. That. He said I was playing in the rombo and I couldn't go wide, and and it kind of <laughs> like I, I just I didn't have any room to operate. Yeah, so, I mean that he plays himself out right there. Sí, so su propio quiebre ahí, quiebre de cintura. Um, yeah, that's that's not. You're not gonna get in the coach's good graces like that. And, and and someone like Osorio, you know, you could look bad, but he's not going to care, you know, because he he wants to see what, what you're capable of. But what if what if Giovanni? I mean, because Giovanni's not coming. I mean, he he's finally coming back this week. So Giovanni's been out for what six weeks? Yeah. And this was after Giovanni said that he had the best off season of his entire career. Right? <laughs> he, that his words, not you know, I'm not, I'm not I'm not blowing smoke up, you know, anybody right now. That Giovanni said best off season I've ever had, you know, as, as a professional. And then and he goes and gets a muscular injury after after two games, and that's yeah. after having to come out after the first one. <laughs> so you know what 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 muscles is is Giovanni exercising? Is he exercising? Is he doing the the heavy lifting of the twelve ounce weights down in Hermosa Beach? Or uh, yes, or, or or the or the quarter pound or the quarter <laughs> pound jerk over at Tommy Burgers over over in your neighborhood, Hoyle. You know, old old neighborhood. Ya no, ya no estoy allá. Um, oh, I forgot you're over. You're over in the OC. Yeah, um, heavy lifting of pomos like kulit. Going to go buy beers after a training. <laughs> that just seems so honest. funny. <laughs> be honest, Joel, do you miss your Americanista neighbor? No, I don't. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> No, would, would you hear? Is, is it true, Joel, that that late night you'd hear that like like very softly in the distance? No, no. no. Sometimes during big games they would throw uh, viewing parties. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I could always tell when when the team was winning. Really? It would go, it would go crazy. So you didn't, have, you didn't even have to watch the game. You didn't have to watch the game. No, nah, just I was just here for reactions. That is. Uh... That is fantastic. That happens here in Austin during UT games. <laughs> I know he left um, an impression on you, John. I'm sorry? I know that guy left an impression on you. Well, you know, you just 
<laughs> you have to admire a man who was who was, who was so dedicated to his team. Wait, give, give know, me give me a sec. Give me a he sec. Had to, so, no, that's I, I will I will describe what I saw. He was, you know, on old side street there in in, in in Los Angeles, and he had the the you know the, the Guamanica logo painted, you know, you know, on his house. He had he had a uh, you know a curtain that had the logo on it. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his house was yellow with with uh, with blue trim. And he even had, you know, to just to be sure, in case you didn't already figure out that he was an America, a Blue America fan, if when it's dark and the ambulance is coming and he wants to make sure that, that they know that not only is this my address, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Blue America fan as well, his his curb number, the glow-in-the-dark number, was also had a Blue America logo on there with his with his address, <laughs> just, just to make sure that, uh, that they knew that he was a Blue America fan that resided at that at that location. And, and John John saw him because he he was coming to pick me up. We were gonna go watch a game at the Coliseum, and he he went a block. You went a bit too far right, and you had to make yeah, a turn. Yeah, I did. I had to turn around. <laughs> and there, there he saw. I turned around in his driveway. It's like, well, I'm sure this time he can still allow me to turn around yeah. in his driveway. Yeah. So so yeah. so then I asked you about him, and you're, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's a, you know it's Javier Americanista. No, was very, very quiet about him. I had another one. Okay, well, which well, is really quick. There wasn't, which I would see when I would drive, and you had a truck and it was painted, fully painted in America colors, and you had the schools and everything. Right. That's uh, we do see uh, actually. You know, Chiki's has a huge Puma sticker on the back of his pickup. You know, he. he Chiki's uh, Chiki's represents his team very well here in in Central Texas. Well, I do want to uh, uh, very quickly before we uh, we 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 talk to uh, Luis Miguel Chagara, I did notice that uh, Daniel Preciado has joined us from Escondido there in Southern California as well. Daniel, how are you, sir? Good. Good evening, everyone. Happy to be here Daniel, as always. Daniel, you're. Uh, your 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 Santos team is starting to uh, waver a little bit. Uh, they've had well, a couple of losses. I was kind of expecting it, you know. Um, yeah. And I think right now it's okay. I, I I I'd rather them get the losses and hopefully they they end on a high note. Yeah. Well, they have a a very big game uh, this week. You know that I know the Santos already made the playoffs, but I mean I mean they don't have to go all. You know they can play them at, at medio gas. It's fine. Against against Pumas this week in Torreon, you know we'll 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 allow it we'll allow it, and uh, if, uh, if if Pumas can, can can scratch out some points, we'll we'll be much obliged. <laughs> How are you guys faring? Could, are, the Liga. It's it's still a possible. Pumas has twenty points. They're they're uh, they're one point away from uh, the 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 problem with Pumas is their goal differential is just. Pathetic. So that they basically have to win both these next two games, and just in order to, to be sure. Because if they're in any kind of tiebreaker situation, they ain't gonna win it. Got it. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll thanks we'll, for bringing we'll, it up, Dan. We'll we'll see what we'll see what my boys can do for you. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Uh, no, we do. Uh, we, we do appreciate it. Although, although I think I think Santos is gonna be okay. I think that they'll be they'll be fine. Well, Dan, I was I was just about to start uh, playing the interview that we uh, that we had uh, got to record earlier with. Uh, with uh, Luis Miguel Chagaray with uh, with uh, SportsIllustrated.com, but before we do that, I did want to uh, uh, get your uh, very quickly your 
your your opinions on what we saw up in the in the Great White North uh, on, on Tuesday night with uh, with, with Chivas? Um, I'm not going to say I'm pleasantly surprised. Actually, it was kind of what I was expecting. I, I we didn't exact we didn't exactly get uh, predictions, but I was expecting a one one, and then a maybe a three one at home. Uh, but uh, uh, so I was expecting the one one, the two one. Yeah, it's a fantastic result. Um, I don't think it was surprising at all. Um, I think I, I discussed it on, on the show last week that I, I don't, I didn't think that Chivas is nearly as bad as they've shown. I mean, they were, they got to the, they got to the Champions League somehow, right? So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm not surprised that they were able to to, to put a put on a, a good performance. They sh- they dedicated a guy to shut down um, Giovinco, which doesn't seem all that. Uh, Innovative, but but it's effective, and uh, we'll see if uh, Pizarro can can um, can again, like I guess uh, maybe uh, really distinguish himself. But he's the one I'm actually rooting for the most because I'd like to see him as part of the, part of the World Cup, but he still needs to. So he has to pass this last test. Yes, yes, he has to force Osorio's hand. I just don't he think he's to, had the type yeah. of season. Um, even I mean, he's had moments, but I don't think he it's his inclusion is, is, is screaming. So what, what would in your mind have to happen in order for, for his, his inclusion to uh, be screaming? I think a, con- uh, like a complete game, uh, a complete games where he's not, um, where he just, where he could find uh, that sweet spot where he's making the right decisions and not just uh, giving the ball away and bad, bad, not that he did that so much, but, uh, I just think that he can play smarter, and I think the team as a whole, especially um, later on in the game, they, they, they should have won that 3-1 easy. And he I think they, they, they squandered a, a number of chances. He needs to score off the dribble or, or walk the ball in. <laughs> Since he well, the- what, he, what, he needs to, what he needs to learn to do is, and, and his team needs to help him, is somebody has to break from behind him when he's doing that, so that they'll never see it coming, and 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 uh, because 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 he has he attracts what at least at least two sometimes three guys, and if somebody breaks behind not in front of him but behind him or, or lateral to him, then it'll be it'll be curtains if if, if they can figure that out. So once again, Joel, I, I, I challenge our, our 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 loyal listener, Mister Mister Almeida. If this happens, then we'll know for sure, Hoyt. We'll know for sure whether or not he listens to the podcast. I think you know, we, Dan. We're we're pretty sure that he does because uh, I got no doubt. What what, what what we described last week, as far as like you know, what Chivas had to do to win, it pretty much played out exactly how uh, well, most of us described. I think I, got I think it. we're probably one of the few who who didn't. Did anybody actually pick Toronto? I picked Toronto. Okay. I, a bit of a I, didn't, I didn't pick him, but I did have him as favorite. Yeah. Joel, Joel's crystal ball was too cloudy for him to make any kind of prediction. Yeah, I didn't predict the score, but, but I did put him in the favorite category. And, and you know, from the match, they dominated more. Chiovico was, was off, and, and then uh, Josie was – he reverted back to – Josie Dozy, he's he missed a couple, man. Could have had a brace. 
it was it wasn't as if uh, you're right, Jorge, as if Chivas totally shut them down. I mean, I mean Toronto, and they're going to have chances again, uh, just just because of the way that Chivas plays, the way Toronto plays, for that matter. Uh, yeah, but, but both... la on la presión, I think the pressure is going to be on on Toronto, man. You know, just yeah, what it means. Just, just cause look, this is pressure from two, from 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 two, um, you know, from two nations, and and they got some U.S. nationals there, and this is this is like their World Cup, you know, I mean. And then they're the Canadian team, and they've been hurting to win something. So it's quite quite the pressure there. I have to admit, I, I will find it hilarious, frankly, if if when when MLS does win this, because they will. The MLS is gonna is gonna win this tournament. It's gonna happen. You're saying this time around, or you're saying just eventually? Just what it when it does happen that okay. if the first team that does win it is a Canadian team, it would just crack me up. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, seriously, it would just be so perfect. It would, it would fact, be so, it would uh, just a perfect the fact moment. Has, the fact is not lost on um, on the message boards. How many? Really? Uh, how many are? Yeah. On, how many Americans are on the Toronto? Though? There's a few. I mean, and two notable uh, ones. I mean, Josie are, and, and, and how many Canadians? And, I mean, uh, are there any Canadians on Toronto? I'll be honest. I'm I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I have to clean the ignorance. Yeah. Probably all uh, extremacados. But uh, anyway, I, I just I thought that was interesting. Well, guys, if you don't mind, let's uh, let, let's get to it. Let's go ahead and bring in our guest, if uh, if that's all right with you. Word. Well, like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we have with us uh, this evening. Uh, in our tradition that we've started here in the Cantina Mekis podcast of doing a World Cup group previews. A couple of weeks ago, we had Tom Harrison join us and talk to us about Group A, particularly Egypt and Mo Salah. And uh, last week, we had Arch Bell from Marca.com talk to us about Spain. And Arch said that uh, Spain, he fully expects them to make a semifinals appearance in uh, Russia 2018. And this week, we're talking Group C. And we thought, uh, who better to bring on for Group C than, uh, than, than someone who is very passionate about the team that he follows. Among other things, he is an author, a foodie, a villain, and a writer. He's appeared in Remezcla and The Guardian, and currently he heads up SI.com's uh, Latino and Spanish language content and co-hosts SITV's Planet Football. He is a peruano, and we're very happy to bring him on to talk to us about Group C. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Luis Miguel Echagaray. Luis, how are you doing today? Oh, wow. I love that little intro music. Thank you. It's a, we're very, very happy to have you on, Luis. Now, let's just get it right out of the way uh, from the, uh, the very top. Why is Peruvian ceviche so delicious? Uh, I mean, the fact that I even have to have an argument for this is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, there, there is nothing more succulent, more beautiful, more tasteful than Peruvian ceviche. I mean, ceviche, wherever you want to argue... Founded, originated in the coast of Peru. I mean, you can go all along the coast of Peru, all the way from Lima, going down south to where Paracas is, even north, uh, you know, heading towards Arequipa. All of this beautiful ceviche started in Peru. I don't even need to make an argument here. It's, it's the most succulent, most beautiful ceviche that you'll ever have. 
Now, one of our fellow cantineros who's, who's not with us at, at, at the moment, but uh, Rigo Ayala, who uh, grew up in Michoacán, says that, that, that hands down, Peruvian ceviche is, is the absolute best in the world. Now, Peruvian ceviche, there's sweet potato, sometimes potato. They're, they're, there's, I mean, I, I grew up with, with uh, ceviche acapulqueño, which is tomato-based. Right. And uh, there, you just don't necessarily see that in, at all in, in Peruvian ceviche. And I did have a chance once. Uh, I, was, I was working a college football game in Miami. And it was our set day. I think, well, look, it's time to go to lunch. And we found this, this cevicheria peruana. I was so excited, but it was closed. Oh, so no. I didn't get a chance to, uh, to, to, to have some of the, of, of the proving ceviche. So, 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 so hands down, proving ceviche, best in the world. I'm hoping that there's a, that there's a cevicheria peruana here in Austin, but we'll have to. Chiquis, have you ever found a, a, a Peruvian cevicheria here in Austin? No, I'm a, actually, I'm a ceviche noob. I've only had it once and that was in Virginia. Um, so I, that was what I was going to ask Luis was, I know you're in New York where, and I, I don't have hopes for Austin. My, my belief as far as Mexican food is there's no Mexican food that's like really authentic unless you're in Mexico. But in New York, where's, where's your preferred place for ceviche? Yeah, no, you know what? That, that's a very good point. Sometimes you have to really go back to where it really originated to get it. But luckily, being in the U.S., being a country of immigrants, sometimes you find some little jewels. Um, New York is actually very lucky when it comes to Peruvian food. I mean, the, the immediate answer would be Jackson Heights, right? So the, uh, the center of, of Latino centric, um, Urubamba is a very good Peruvian restaurant in Jackson Heights. Um, El Anzuelo Fino, El Pollo Inca. I actually, one of my very good friends, uh, moving away from Queens, one of my very good friends has a restaurant. I'm going to do a shameless plug for him right now, but he better give me a free meal. It's called uh, Panca in, uh, in the West Village. It's, it's great. It's fantastic food. And they make a, a, a great ceviche. And, uh, and as you said, uh, John, about uh, the potato. Yeah, there, there's, there's so much potato uh, influence when it comes to our ceviche, but we also do some good stuff with shrimp as well. So, Well, it's a good thing I haven't had lunch yet because uh, I'll be honest, you you are making you are making my mouth uh, water. Now let's let let's 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 jump off the ceviche because I don't want everyone to 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 have to go get a, a quick bite to eat. But we do want to talk soccer. And and my first question, I, I do follow you on Twitter, and I've noticed that you don't necessarily tweet as much about Peruvian clubs as much as you do about uh, about Aston Villa. So my question <laughs> to you is, how how did the Sorting Hat pick Aston Villa for you? Yeah, it's I mean. Uh, if people have heard me before and know my story, they know that it's a little, I guess you can say interesting. I guess you can say a little bit complex. Uh, you know, I'm Peruvian, but I actually left Peru when I was, um, when I was 12. Um, and I moved to England and, uh, moved to North London. And I moved to an area where it's particularly heavy with Arsenal and Tottenham fans and particularly heavy with Greek and Turkish communities. And because England is not really, well, it is now, but when I moved in the early 90s, it wasn't really that Latino-centric. You know, people would look at me and, and the Turks would think I was Greek and, and, and the Greeks would, say, would think I was Turkish. And I'll be like, no, I'm Peruvian. And, and they would say, I, I don't know what that means. So <laughs> Where's Peru? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so anyway, so I wanted a team to root for as soon as I moved to England. And I didn't really care so much about Arsenal or or, or, uh, or Spurs. And at that time, as you know, it was the beginning of the Premier League, the brand new Premier League. And actually, Aston Villa came second in the very first season. But anyway, I didn't have any many friends in my first couple of years there. 
But I did make one really good friend. I still know his name. His name's Mark Russell. And he was a huge, gigantic Villa fan. And he said, I'm an Aston Villa fan. And I was like, oh, okay. So his family, every home game, we would take the train from London all the way to, um, you know, uh, Birmingham. We would go to Villa Park and, and that's really where it all started. And I've been a Villa fan ever since. And when Alberto Solano played for us, you know, it became a, uh, you know, two birds with one stone kind of thing. So I've never really stopped being a Villa fan. That's great. Uh, now, was that was that the Andy Gray years uh, back in the early nineties? Yeah, um, Ron Atkinson, and then um, and then as I got, grew older and, and, and got in, you know in high school with Brian Little, John Gregory. But yes, uh, um, Andy Gray played in the eighties, and then I came a little bit later in, in the uh, in the early nineties. But Ron Atkinson was basically the main manager that that got us to to that level, and then. Uh, and then, you know, we had uh, Juan Pablo Angel, who still to, to, to this day is one of my heroes. And sure. Benito Carbone and, you know, all this, uh, you know, all these South American and Central American players that came from Villa. I've, I've always, it's always been great to see. So, and then I'll, ne- I'll never stop being a Villa fan. <laughs> and, and, and where is Villa right now? Are they, are they, are they in, 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 the, in the playoff hunt for promotion or are they in direct qualification? Well, yes. Yeah, so Wolves, as you know, uh, right. got promoted automatic promotion. They, uh, uh, they, they uh, clinched an automatic promotion. Definitely the best team this season in the championship. As if your listeners don't know, the championship is the first two are automatic promotion, and then third to sixth is a playoff uh, situation. And Villa right now is uh, fourth. Okay. So, so it and it's very tight right now Every, uh, between Cardiff, Fulham, and Aston Villa fighting for that second automatic promotion spot. There's a few games left, but uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I really enjoyed us being in the championship because Aston Villa for a very long time in, in the premiership was really doing nothing. It was horrible to watch. It was Sunderland-esque. And it was, uh, you know, at least now in the championship uh, with our new owner, um, you know, at least there's compet- competition amongst the league and stuff. And, and we have some great talent. And hopefully we'll see us in the Premier League very soon. See, for uh, for Liga Mekis fans, we, we, we would call that they're, they're the Atlas of of uh, yeah, that- uh, of the Premier League. Very, that's not a bad. That's not a bad uh, uh, comparison. Very, very, very chaflas like for for uh, for Aston Villa. Yeah. Now, now I, I've personally, I'm a Pumas fan, and I, I've had the I've had the the, the good fortune of having uh, Pumas be in the first division as long as I've been alive. They were promoted in the early '60s, so they've they've been, but they've been in relegation fights. Do you find uh, a relegation fight and then consequently a promotion fight? A thousand times more nerve-wracking and exciting than you would say, uh, you know, a, a championship fight at the top of the table. Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think that uh, so going through a relegation fight is is, is never fun. Uh, nerves are always racking in. When Villa eventually got relegated from the Premier League, it was it wasn't even like a fight. The, the, the fight was already done. Villa had been done. Um, but I think that. Right now, this competition to get that second automatic promotion spot has been really, you know, as a neutral, really super interesting uh, to achieve. I mean, I talk about Villa a lot, but Fulham, um, who have such a great history, um, you know, they're they're doing interesting things. Ryan Sessegnon being a 17-year-old left back for Fulham, who's, you know, just got nominated for player Young Player of the Year. Um, Cardiff with Neil Warnock, so it's it's been fun that in terms of trying to get promoted to the Premier League. I would rather be this than in mediocrity in the Premier League, like eleventh or twelfth place. Sure, 
And I've always, I, I personally have always thought that the, that the championship, as far as leagues in Europe, is probably like the, the fourth or fifth best league in Europe. But that's, it's, it's so incredibly competitive that, uh, I mean, I think that it, it could hold its water with uh, Liga or Eredivisie, any of the other quote unquote first division leagues in yeah. the, uh, the, the yeah. that are in the continent. It's, 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 it, it's a very, very difficult place to, uh, to win promotion so it's uh... I, I completely agree and and Wolves have proven now that you know uh, what Nuno Spiritu Santo has done the coach he's taken in players like Ruben Neves from Porto and then Jota who like is a loney from Atletico Madrid like you know all these kind really great talent at fast paced physical uh, English style uh, so- English style British style soccer it's been great to watch and see develop now your your other love obviously is, is the, the Blanquirrojos and I know that you were born in the early 80s, so you weren't, you may have been alive during 82, but you probably don't, I would, I would assume you don't remember no. that, that World Cup. So it's been, well, I don't want to throw numbers around, but it's been 36 years <laughs> since, since, since Peru has, has, uh, had, had qualified for a World Cup. So as a Peruvian, uh, and then, and, and then with your family, everybody else, I mean, how, what, how incredible was it for, for, for Peru after all these years to finally make it back? To where, you know, a lot of us, at least someone like me who grew up watching Peru plays, thinking, you know, that they, they, it's a country that should, that should be a, 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 a constant, a, a standard bearer in the World Cup. How great is it for, for, for Peru to finally be back in the World Cup? I mean, yeah, every time I get asked this question, I, I always say, John, it, it's very hard to describe it into words because of just the emotional, historical, as you, as you mentioned, just everything that goes with it. Um, it's, it's incredible to be honest. And it's, it's really more than just, uh, a game or, or, or entering the biggest tournament in, in, in football. It, it's, it's just an incredible feeling. Um, you're right. I really don't remember much about the last time we were there in 82, but, um, if anybody reads my stuff, especially not even just Sports Illustrated, but be, before that, when I was with The Guardian, um, I would really talk about the emotional connection that most people my age uh, you know, I'm 36, 37 this year. Most people my age, um, you know, have with this, with La Blanquirroja because of, um, our parents and just, you know, this kind of connection that you have with, with the team. It, it's an incredible moment. Um, and it, it comes down to many reasons, not even just because we haven't been, as you said, since 1936, but there's been a lot of heartache too. You know, I don't have to go too much into it, but, there's been so many things within both domestic-based soccer in Peru and international, so many things that have gone wrong and so many, you know, so much sadness. You know, we've had our own, you know, not to compare it, obviously, you know, Chapecoense is a tragedy in itself, but in the 80s, Peru, Alianza Lima also had a similar, uh, you know, tragedy. And, you know, so we've gone through so many things just to, and also not, I'm not even included about the fact that we're in the toughest World Cup qualification, uh, you know, group ever. Conmebol, you know, is, is so ridiculously impossible. And the fact that we did it when Brazil had to take part, not even in, the, in Brazil 2014 when they didn't even have to do it, is amazing. So it's, it's an amazing feeling and every Peruvian will tell you the same. Sure. Uh, for those who don't know uh, what uh, Luis is referring to is, I think it was 1987, uh, there, was a, there was a plane crash that, that, that killed the, uh, the entire Alianza Lima, not just players, but, but coaching and support staff. I think it was, it was like 44 uh, folks ended up perishing in that. And, 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 a, and a lot of folks believe that, that that was the, the base of the president and also future national team. So it took Peru, as one would expect, a very long time 
in, in, in order for them to to recover from from such a such, a, such an awful tragedy. And uh, yeah, and on top of that, Luis, you see, you know, with with Peru having that, and then you see teams like Ecuador and and even Bolivia teams that you know, at least when I was growing up, were like the, the doormats of of, of Conmebol come up and 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 take and, and take those those world the World Cup spots. It had to be just incredibly frustrating for. For, for for Peruvian fans to see these teams that that for years you guys would just you know you know swat aside like flies all of a sudden you know they're the ones that are that are that are taking those spots too. Yeah, it was very frustrating. I mean, especially, and it wasn't even just about. I mean, you got to give credit when credits due, right? Many uh, organizations like Ecuador, especially in the last, you know, not not this recent one, obviously, but as you said. Uh, and Paraguay and stuff would take, uh, you know, certain spots. But it was also just a, like, you know, the 98 World Cup, we, we didn't make it through goal difference, you know. So <laughs> it, it was it, it, it was just, you know, we were the almost team, you know, it was just right there. And it wasn't even just that. It was just in matches, if we were leading one nothing or 2-1 with, you know, 25 minutes to go, every single Peruvian would tell you, yeah, we're going to lose this. And it was true, and we did. So I know that we're going to get into it later, but uh, that's why I, I really commend and, and 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 you know salute and thank Ricardo Gareca for everything that he has done and his coaching team because he didn't just change what happened on the field. Like psychologically, he transformed the mentality of a Peruvian player, and that, and that's big. Now I grew up uh, in Mexico, and, and and my first World Cup that I remember watching. Where I, where I I do have vivid memories of was Argentina in 1978, and as, as much as 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 Mexico was terrible in that World Cup because they were they only scored two goals and allowed 12, and you know they they were the on the business end of of the first African victory ever in a World Cup when 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 Tunis beat them and then they got shellacked by the Germans etc. As terrible as Mexico was, Peru was outstanding, and uh, it's one of the reasons why I've always had a soft spot. You know, I've always had like a like a crush on Peru because you know when you're six seven years old and you see you know, crazy good goals, like like the goals that Peru scored, and at least in the group stage, because they didn't get any in that stage. You, uh, it, it, it's a country saying, "Wow, you know, this is fantastic." And then I see him again in Spain, and I remember being home. I'm, they tied Italy one one, and they had a you know they tied Cameroon, and then I'm thinking, "Here we go, we're going to see Peru again." This is, who, and then they got just shellacked by Poland. Yeah, and I think I think Boniek, uh, who was playing with Juventus at the time, had a hat trick. And 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 Peru uh, never to be seen or heard from again in, in, in a World Cup. So, um, I'm I'm I personally I think it's fantastic that that, that that Peru is back is back in the World Cup. And even and even in the in in, in the 70s and 80s, there were uh, a lot of Peruvians that uh, that played in Liga MX at the time. And, and and a lot of the uh, now they didn't necessarily have the impact that some of you see like some of the Argentines or or Paraguayans or even Colombians in Liga MX. But there but there were a few guys that that did have a a major impact in Liga MX, and, and the one that I've uh, uh, that I remember vividly was uh, Jeronimo Barbadillo, yeah, La El Patrulla, who uh, <laughs> was fantastic for Tigres. Uh, it was it was at the time when Tigres, Pumas, and Cruz Azul dominated the league, won two titles with them, and and made such an impact on Tigres that they actually retired as his uh, his his number seven. Now there have been other Peruvians that have that have gone through Liga MX. Uh, Julio Cesar Uribe actually played for America and coached Decos, although he didn't really have, obviously, the, the impact that he had for Peru as he did, as he had in, uh, in Liga Mekis. And then for, for my team, Pumas, uh, El Cobra, uh, Juan Jose Muñante was, was outstanding. And then the, 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 the perennial captain, 
Peru, uh, Hector Chumpitas actually played for Atlas. Poor guy. Right. Poor guy. Oof. <laughs> but but he was Peru's captain for for a better part of almost like fifteen years. Uh, Absolutely, he had more than he had like around one hundred and five caps for Peru. Uh, Chumpitas is a, is you know not you know obviously renowned and well known in Peru and loved. Uh, maybe not to the level of Cuyas, but but. Um, especially just being a defender, but, you know, considered definitely one of the greatest South American defenders ever, um, you know, starting with Universitario in his youth career. And like you said, with, uh, you know, Atlas, with, you know, uh, he, he was he was one of those rocks that you didn't really see. And he was only 5'6", by the way. Wow, which made, that's so, crazy. So, you know, which always makes it so much fun to see, uh, you know, just as a, you know, a rock at the back, uh, you know, you know, just represent everything that, that the Peruvian was not 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 very tall, but with two hearts. And and then more recently, at least uh, you know, within the past uh, couple of decades, uh, Juan Reynoso was yeah. uh, was actually one of the. He was on uh, Cruz Azul's uh, last championship team, so that's how long ago he played in uh, in, uh, in 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 Cruz Azul. Was uh, he was uh, on the team on the squad when they won the uh, championship in 1997. Now uh, you mentioned Cubillas. Now again, Cubillas is. Uh, I mean, I, I would have to consider him the the standard bearer for for Peruvian football, e- even to this day. Uh, a gentleman yeah. who played in uh, in three World Cups, uh, twelve years apart, uh, played here in 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 the U.S. in NASL, and just uh, just a great. I mean, he used to be a, a television commentator in Mexico. I think he was even on Univision for a bit. Uh, where where is uh, Nene these days? Nene is based between Florida and Lima. Okay. Uh, he has an academy in, in, in Florida. He does, and he is actually going to be part of the Telemundo team for the World Cup. That's fantastic. This so that's going to be great to see. Um, as you said, he's pretty much the pivotal factor when we discuss Peruvian soccer, and specifically when people who are not Peruvian discuss Peruvian soccer. I think Cuyas to this day represents everything. Um, you know, he won, you know, aside, as you mentioned, you know, in the World Cup, also the 1975 Copa America. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, when he scored against Brazil in the semifinal and then, you know, playing in the playoff match in the final and also, you know, just Guerrero beat him to now the most goal scored, uh, by a Peruvian internationally. But I think one of the things, um, that are, that is interesting about Cubillas is the fact that, as you mentioned, you know, just his, his career was celebrated not just in Peru, but but in, in, in the United States, uh, internationally, um, one of my favorite memories ever is actually the very first time I saw him live, which is when he returned um, to Alianza Lima to play for free, just as you were talking about the 87 crash. Um, and, you know, my dad took me to see him. And it, it was just one of those moments when you just say, you know, wow, th- this is not just a soccer player. This is this is a hero. Yeah, and a lot of folks have the mem- the good memories of Cubillas because I mean it wasn't just he wasn't just scoring goals and he was scoring veritable golazos. Yeah, and well, we actually ran one a, a, a few months ago here on the on the podcast, and we got in trouble by <laughs> uh, from from FIFA for 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 Aaron, but it was it was his free kick against against Scotland where he where he he cre- he, he cross footed the goalie and toe poked it into He's the uh, into, into the into the goal is a, a, a fantastic a fantastic goal. I'm glad this. I, I am looking forward then to seeing him on Telemundo because uh, I've, I've actually always liked his his commentary as well. So he should be. Uh, he's also an entertaining guy, which which makes it you know that much that much better. 
Yeah, I, I met him a few years ago. Uh, just in that restaurant that I was talking about, my friend's restaurant, we had a nice, uh, it was a sort of a charity event. Uh, we were trying to help, uh, you know, kids in, in, in Peru and Cubillas came and he, you know, he talked about his, his life and everything. And I sat next to him. My, my dad is not with us anymore. And, and uh, so it was, it, you know, it, it was just, I could just feel like the emotion just sitting next to him. He signed a ball for me and he, he signed it. Um, he signed it. It's uh, Todo Lo Mejor Campeón. He called me Campeón and that, that ball's still on my desk at Sports Illustrated and I never stopped looking at it because it's just one of those amazing moments. Yeah, that's, that is, uh, that's fantastic to, to have uh not just to, to get to meet somebody like that, but then the you know for him to have the kind of message, so that is uh, pretty amazing. Now let 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 let's talk Peru now uh, in this upcoming World Cup. Uh, there isn't if you look at all eight groups, you you can't say like in the last World Cup where there were like three or four just incredibly difficult groups. But of 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 the eight groups that, that are in this tournament, I I personally and we were talking about this before you came on with with with, with uh, Albert that Group C and Group D are by far the toughest ones, and. Uh, hmm. And with 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 Peru matching up with Denmark, Australia, and France, I do think France is a favorite, but it is a, a free for all for that second spot. I don't think that there's one team over the other that that, that thinks, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take the, all three of those teams have have a real good chance to, to make it into the next round. And Peru, if I'm not mistaken, they start off with Denmark, and then they yeah. have France in the middle and finish off with Australia. So that Australia game could be. A, a, a determining factor for them, if you know, if you know, kind of a, a win, if, a win, and they're in. So, ba- based on the group, uh, how, how do you feel uh, Peru's chances are? Yeah, John. Actually, you know what's funny? I mean, obviously, France is on paper the favorite, and and as you rightly said, uh, the competition for everybody else is really that second spot. I got to tell you, Australia scares me more than than either France or Denmark, and I'll tell you why. Um, we have an issue, I think, still, uh, and Gareca will, will, will totally agree, I think, that um, when it comes to playing against creativity, athleticism, uh, smart tactics, I think that we're good because Ricardo Gareca is so good at learning the opposition. I think that, obviously, on paper, France is the one to watch out for, uh, but... To be honest with you, Australia scares me more than all the other teams. And the reason is, is because Peru as a squad and the way that we play, um, you know, Ricardo Gareca is very good at, at analyzing the opposition and he'll have a plan, uh, as you saw against Croatia and Iceland. But I think that the biggest obstacle to climb are when Peru is faced with a team that's uh, at the proverbial brick wall. Right. Somebody that I mean, it's not so much that they're going to park the bus, but that they're going to be very physical and kind of rely on the aerial game. Uh, Janinak, uh, an Aston Villa player, actually will, will do a lot uh, to try and disrupt uh, what's happening. Uh, and I think that Peru can struggle with that. So I think that that might be the biggest uh, and being the fact that it's the last match of the group and, and depending how we're doing, it, it, a lot of pressure might um, amount. So, of course, France scares me. Of course, they're an incredible team, one of the best in the world. But to be honest with you, just like you saw France play against Colombia and Peckerman outwitted him, um, Didier Deschamps, to me, tactically doesn't impress me. we got to remember that in the qualifiers, France was a team that uh, couldn't beat Luxembourg at home. Right. So th- there are moments when I think they could struggle. Obviously, Kylian Mbappé is going to be a future world player of the year, I think. And you saw Antoine Griezmann, et cetera. But I, I, I don't 
when it comes to tactics and outwitting somebody, I have all my faith in Gareca. And with Denmark, I think it's about just like we are not, you know, we stopped the play of Modric and Rakitic with Croatia. I think Ericsson easily, if we can, if we can figure him out, I think we can figure out the majority of creativity from Denmark. Australia is different because they're going to come together as a compact physical unit. And that to me is something that I worry about. So it seems like based on what you're saying that the schedule favors Peru in the sense that they're going to have the game where they're most comfortable first against Denmark, against, against a side that, that based on the way you've been describing it, that they can probably uh, not only play their own style, but kind of handle the style of, of, of the Danes first. If, you know, obviously if they get a win there, it's fantastic. And then they play France where, I mean, let's, I mean, let's say, I mean, you know, as a fan of, of Mexico too, you know, when you go up against the, you know, the A-list teams, it's, I mean, you, you, you hope for a win, you, you, you pray for a tie, and, and, and if you lose, you hope you, you, that, that the loss isn't one of those losses where it, it could knock you out of the World Cup as a goal difference. And then the, the last game is against Australia, you know, the, the toughest game for you in, in, in your mind in, in order for them to qualify. So, so they have, and, and I think Mexico is kind of the same way, where they have, they, have, they have two group games, and then they have what I would call like the round of 32 game, the, the game that's going to decide whether or not you make it into the knockouts. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mexico and Peru have similar paths. I think, I think you're right in saying that. Um, and also let's not forget about what will happen when Paulo Guerrero with, you know, hopefully when Paulo Guerrero rejoins the squad, because, um, I, honestly, I, I think Kachelny is great. Somebody like that, Lauren Kachelny, the center back for France, but he's going to do, he's going to really struggle against, I think this is the other thing, European, Teams don't understand just how good Paulo Guerrero is. Uh, he, he he dominates so much in the air. Probably the best player to hold the ball uh, in South America. And you know, after Lo- Robert Lewandowski, to me, I don't see a better uh, n- number nine. To be honest with you. And um, and w- w- when is uh, Guerrero slated to uh, rejoin Peru? Yeah, it's a tricky one. So right now, uh, he has to face uh, the court of arbitration on May 3rd. He has appealed, his lawyers have appealed for him for the six-month ban to be completely annulled. I mean, he was already meant to join in May anyway, uh, but they're asking to completely get rid of it. Um, but at the same time, uh, WADA, you know, the anti-drug um, organization, have asked for an extension of a one- to two-year ban but that's more of a reactionary thing. Uh, you know, they have to do something. They can't just let Paulo Guerrero's lawyer say something to court of arbitration. Anyway, May 3rd, I believe, is when the final decision will be made. And uh, I don't know, according to what's happening, there's a lot of optimism. So hopefully the answer will be that from the beginning of May, he'll be able to fully you know, take part in everything, which is why Peru still have organized three friendlies uh, before the World Cup starts. Sure. Now, maybe, maybe Paulo Guerrero will, will, will channel another Paulo, uh, Paulo Rossi, who uh, in, in in Spain, 1982, was uh, coming back from a match-fixing ban and then right. ended up completely catching fire, at least in the second round. It became the the, the World Cup Pichichi and, of course, led Italy to a, a World Cup championship uh for them so that's certainly something to uh for spaniards to look forward to i'm not so nice for peruvians i am i'm getting my my nationalities mixed up now if if guerrero for some reason does not uh uh make the squad is not playing the world cup now now peru does have their ace in the hole the monarca uh uh, uh we have, of course we're talking about uh 
That's why Ruiz Diaz, who uh, is uh, playing for Morelia, scored probably the biggest goal in Monarca's history a couple of years oh, ago to keep him up. And but he did get red carded over the week. Now I have to ask: we uh, have been trying, we're looking, searching high and low for a Monarca's fan. Are, are you are you the one guy in the USA that that that, that watches Monarca's games religiously? Yeah, I probably watch Monarca's games more than anybody uh, in the U.S., uh, mainly just to see uh, Raul uh, do his thing. You know, he, he already scored one of the most amazing goals I've seen in a while this season. Um, it's well, You know what's funny? He's not even um, really guaranteed to start. He's not even um, a starter for, for Gareca. It's really mainly Farfan taking that number nine role. How old is Farfan? What is he? He's like in his mid-40s? I mean, he's been around for... <laughs> I mean, he's close. No, he's not. He's, he's 33. And and he and DeMarcus played at, at, at Eindhoven together, did they not? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. And, um, um, and Farfan now with Lokomotiv Moscow. He scored an amazing free kick uh, last weekend, I believe. He was with PSV after Alianza Lima. Then he went to Schalke. Then he did a really this is, and then that, that then there was the 2015-2016 period when he went to Al Jazeera, uh, which is when Gareca really had nothing. Like we got to remember, Farfan really took no part in the beginning of qualification. Sure. Uh, for Farf, uh, and it mainly was because Gareca, and this is where Gareca comes in again. He demanded 1,000% commitment, club, country, discipline. Uh, mental stability, and Farfan, it took a while for him to wake up, but finally he got with the program, and of course he became uh, one of the heroes against New Zealand. He's very important for Peru right now. He's the number nine um, uh, with Carrillo on one side, Cueva right behind him, and then, uh, you know, um, La Oreja uh, on the left-hand side, uh, Flores, Edinson Flores, so he's very, very important. He's kind of, you know, taking the role of Guerrero at the moment. But Rodríguez really right now is not, is not in the starting 11. We'll see what happens when we get closer to the World Cup. But he comes in and he scores very important goals. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's pivotal to the squad. Now, he isn't the only uh, peruano that plays in Liga and makes it has uh, chances to make the World Cup squad. I know that uh, Advincula also plays in, in Mexico, Pedro Aquino. Yeah, and the Polo Gallese. Now he's a goalie, but I'm I'm, I'm assuming that he uh, he may if he makes it, he probably be like the second or third goalkeeper. Uh, Alexi Gomez has has op- has an opportunity to make the squad as well as uh, Cristian Ramos. So Peru, like we've seen other South American countries in the past, we saw Paraguay in in, in 2010 make the quarterfinals with uh, somewhat of a Liga MX based squad. With that, in fact, I remember the quarterfinal against uh, against Spain. Uh, Verón had to come in and, and and did a fantastic job against. A game which, frankly, Paraguay should have won. Uh, they had a some weirdness with some penalty kicks that happened in that game, and uh, it was uh, very unfortunate for them. We've seen Colombia uh, use uh, a lot of Liga MX players in the past, and uh, and Ecuador has done the same thing. So this is uh you know again outside of the Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay triumvirate where they have you know thousands of well maybe not Argentina, Uruguay, but a, a ton of players that play abroad. You know, main, mainly in Europe, they can they can build a base. But but a lot of South American countries have looked at Liga Mekis to advance their careers and, and get paid well, et cetera. And it looks like Peru is going to be no exception. They'll probably end up having about three or four, maybe five guys uh, on on the squad that, that that will come from Liga Mekis teams. Not only that, John, the pe- the players that are in Liga Mekis are very important. Gallese is actually our number one keeper. Oh, he isn't. Uh, I thought he was a number two keeper. Okay. No, number one. Uh, well, now it's going to be an interesting uh, fight. Because 
Our number two, uh, Cáceres, he was fantastic uh, during these international friendlies to the point where many are, are now, you know, his, his spot is definitely safe for the squad. Now people are talking about <laughs> the competition for number one should be interesting, but Gallese has normally been our number one. Christian Ramos was their captain during these friendlies, um, really pivotal uh, at the back. Uh, Lucho Advincula is definitely going to go, and it, it all depends what kind of match we play. I think that if we play Denmark, uh, depending on how pacey the opposite winger is, it will be between him and uh, Aldo Corso. And then in France, I think the same thing. Uh, but Lucha Vincula is definitely a, a very important player. He also had a very good set of international friendlies when we played against Croatia and uh, Iceland. Um, Aquino is a squad member. He gets about 15 minutes, 10 minutes, but he's very talented. And Santa Maria is also another one that's interesting because um, – you know, after Christian Ramos and El Mudo Rodriguez, uh, you know, uh, Santa Maria took over that role next to Christian Ramos, and, and he was pretty good. He, he had a few lapses of concentration, but I think that he's gonna he's gonna make that squad. Gareca prefers him to somebody like um, Cayens, who plays for NYCFC. Um, so you know, those players are very important to uh, to Gareca, and and they all play in in, in Liga MX. Okay, Luis, this is. I got a question real quick, Lise. This is yeah. Albert Campa. Um, I see that there's a there's maybe a couple of players that are in MLS at the moment from the national team. Do you see uh, players becoming more attracted to the MLS, uh, partly because of salary and and maybe because of you know incoming players like well European players like uh, Slatan and others that might might come? Do you think the attraction would be uh, more so to go to MLS instead of Liga MX? Or what do you think of MLS as a future for Peruvian players? Yeah, no, it's a really great question. Um, to be honest with you, I, I actually, uh, the, the first part, of course, the salary is always something that's interesting. But um, the I wrote a piece for Sports Illustrated of, uh, last month, and it was about uh, the very subject of how MLS is going in the right direction not so much because of your Slatan Ibrahimovic, even though it's great to see somebody like that come, but that's not that's not the foundation of the future of this league. The, the foundation and the future of this league is South American, young South American talent coming to different teams like Ezequiel Barco going to Atlanta United or Jesus Medina going to NYCFC. I could go on and on. And Peruvian players are no different. Andy Polo going... Uh, to Portland is, is a good thing because I think this league is in a pivotal time now where the, finally the, the teams are understanding that the talent, the structural foundation of each franchise is based on these young, hungry, experienced players that have played in Copa Libertadores but also have like, you know, so much experience within their own clubs. Andy Polo is no different. And the Peruvians that are in, uh, in, in MLS right now are, are all you know, really good look to be on the squad. Maybe not so much uh, Jordi Reina. We'll see what happens there. But somebody like Yotun, uh, you know, for Orlando, I think will definitely be part of it. Uh, Andy Polo uh, as well. So I think that it's a, it's a two thing. I think it's what you said, the salary, but it's also they are seeing just how much South American talent is, is heading to, um, to MLS. And, and I think that's nothing but a good thing. Now, uh, back to... Back to the World Cup, Luis. Uh, I always uh, want to ask people two questions as far as expectations. What, what, what does the heart think? 
and what does the head think? So what 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 does the heart think for you, for 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 Bedou's expectations in the World Cup? Where, where do you see them ultimately? Or like what 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 is their how far are they going to get? What does the we're heart gonna, say? We're going to win it. The whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I, I I I honestly listen. Costa Rica made it to the quarterfinals in 2014. There sure. is no reason if you're talking about heart right now. There is no reason why that can't happen. Okay. We, I think Ricardo Gareca should have won coach of the year last year. He's that good when it comes to tactics. And I think that getting out of the group stages is a real reality. And I think getting even further uh, the maximum quarterfinals, why not? That's my heart. My head, my head says that I think that we can get out of this group. After that, I'm not so sure, but and, and why? And why is that? Why? Why do you think it's not so sure? Who would they? Who would they probably play in the, in the round of 16? Yeah, I have to do my research again. Maybe you guys can help me, but I think that's when it gets tricky, right? That's it's, when uh, you start. That's when you start playing against uh, Argentina. Yeah. So you know, I mean, hey, we tied against Argentina. Uh, uh, you know, in Argentina, sure. uh, uh, it, it was definitely a battle, but I think the World Cup would be a different situation. Um, um, but I think it also depends on on how Argentina themselves are doing. I mean, there's already been so much, you know, criticism as you as you can remember, sure. um, in terms of the friendlies and what, what they did against Spain. But you know, that's a friendly, and the World Cup is the World Cup. So I think the reality from both sides, head and heart, is we can get out of this group. What happens after that? Then it's just about praying and and, and making sure that the team knows what's up. But I have so much belief in this coach and this team that to me, it's not more about, Oh, let's celebrate the fact that we're just here. And that's the only reason. No, I think we can cause a lot of noise. If, uh, if Peru does make it to the quarterfinals, are, are you and other Peruvians going to grow your hair out long and have the, and have that Gareca hairstyle to, uh, <laughs> to, 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 to celebrate uh, Peru's achievement? John, if I could, I would grow my hair. <laughs> I'm fading a little bit at the back, but I would buy a wig. Uh, I will name him president. He already deserves everything. I think even if we don't get out of the group, uh, his contract should be renewed. He has done so much uh, for the squad and the mentality of, of the nation in terms of the, of, of the game. Uh, but he deserves everything. And I, I really hope also that this is a moment where non-Latinos see the beauty and the strength and the smartness of coaches in South and Central America. I really think that. I think people like Ricardo Garek is a perfect example. You're, you're somebody that doesn't really follow South American soccer that much, might not know that much about Ricardo Gareca. I think this is a perfect opportunity for them to see and also to see Peru. And the final thing is, honestly, you got to remember, this is a young squad. You take Guerrero and Farfan out of this, the average age is 24 years old. So, you know, this is a really young Peruvian team, and the fact that they're in the World Cup is amazing. And, you know, add to that the fact that the chances are pretty high that when the World Cup expands to 48 teams, that that, that, that Peru will, will once again become a mainstay, one would hope, in the uh, in, in the upcoming tournament. So if, if, if this is a young team, it looks like the best days for Peru are, are, are definitely ahead of them because of the fact that they are so young. And, and as you said, and if you've pointed out, Repeatedly, that they're extremely well coached, which uh, is uh, is something that is uh, equally as important. Now, uh, a couple of questions before we let you go. Uh, first of all, uh, since we are kind of Mexico based in this podcast, how do how do you see Mexico's chances playing out in the World Cup? 
You know what? I'm very confident of Mexico getting out of the World Cup. Obviously, your question is about that, you know, the, the fifth match conundrum, right? Um, I think this is a really... Well, right now, a lot of us are, are not even sure they can make it to the fourth match, but... Uh... <laughs> I think I'm an optimist by heart, John. So I think, I think you can do it. I think it's more about, listen, like, I think that you need to take what you just saw against, uh, the, I think unfortunately what, what happened for you, um, was when Croatia sent back their best players for the friendly. Um, and you weren't able to see what talent could do against somebody like Modric. I think Iceland was a, an okay match. I think the struggles are kind of similar to Peru in terms of, uh, listen, per- Mexico's biggest issue is what I saw in the Confederations Cup, which is defending against the counter. I think that to me is the key. I think that's the problem. When they face Germany, a Germany B team, whatever you want to call it, that was the biggest issue, which is like, what do you do in transition? And I think that if, um, you know, if Osorio can fix that, I think you have a better chance than most. I think, I obviously, when you look at that group, um, you know, the, the the match, the very first match against Germany is going to be, uh, you know, pivotal. But I, in a way, I kind of see it as a good thing that you play them first. <laughs> so, oh, there's no question. I mean, the, the schedule breaks out very favorably for Mexico, just like it does for Peru. They have the, you know, you know, the, the match against Germany is, is pivotal in the sense that, I don't think any Mexican is, has the expectation that Mexico is going to win that match. I mean, a draw would be outstanding, but if they lose, which is in all likely going to happen, you can't lose by more than three goals because if, if that happens, then uh, right. the goal differential, as we know, is is, is the first uh, the first tiebreaker. But then you have Korea, and then and then you have the you know the winner take all against Sweden. So it, it, it definitely breaks for Mexico, just like it did in the Confederations Cup. The, the schedule is very 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 favorable uh, for them as far as them advancing. Uh, you know, I, I'm still a little bearish on Mexico just because of what you just said. It's not necessarily just the counterattack. I think it's just the defense in general. Osorio puts so much pressure on on having his team, you know, push up the way that they do. And they don't really have that defensive midfielder to cover for the defense. And, and, and if the other team breaks, then yeah. th- things could definitely get very ugly. And it's, it's something that he hasn't been able to solve in, in the last couple of years that, that he has uh, been there. Now, uh, one yeah. last question before we let you go. What uh, what are Planet Football's uh, – plans for the upcoming World Cup? Are we going to be seeing daily reports? Well, what, what are we going to see from Planet Football? Yeah, you're going to see a lot. There's going to be a lot of written content, daily reports on matches. Um, you're going to see um, a lot of video content as well, uh, both uh, you know from all, across all our social uh, accounts. Uh, we're going to have commentary both in Spanish and English. Um, I can't get too much into the details, but there's a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, both um, obviously uh, digitally and otherwise. And, and uh, you know, it's one of my biggest jobs, if not the biggest job for me as Sports Illustrated, is to make sure that we represent the Latino and Hispanic community. Uh, and that's not just, you know, our biggest audience, which is, uh, you know, Mexico, but I'm talking about South America and Central America. And, and I want to make sure that the World Cup is represented the right way um, because in many ways the United States is at the World Cup. And that's because this country is made of immigrants and many Colombian, Uruguayan, Argentinian, Costa Rican, Spanish, Mexican, Peruvian, uh, Brazilian. They are all also there's many American citizens here that need to be represented. And that's what we're going to aim for Sports Illustrated. You sound like Pedro Bermudez when, when he when he says hello to all the uh, all the <laughs> nationalities when he's when he's calling. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I know that there's 
a lot of folks there say, hey, look, the United States has bought the most tickets, and it's exactly for the reason that you just said, because, yes, there are American fans that are going to the World Cup tournament. There's no question about that. But there are also a lot of folks that live in this country that are going to be going to the World Cup that are going to be supporting whether it's their home country or their parents' home country, whatever whatever the case may be. So it's uh, – well, it's it, you know it, it, you know for for soccer fans, what's going to happen in the next two months is is what we live for. I know uh, he wasn't able to join us today, but I know that the, uh, uh, one of our cantineros, Joel Aceves, says that he you know his life is based on four year processos. You know he he likes the uh, you know like he feels like he really you know culminates his life every four years the World Cup, and I I do I do kind of feel the same way. I mean I was uh, very lucky to have grown up in a country where when the World Cup is 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 taking place every television channel has world cup content 24 7 and yeah. it's what i'm used to and it's something that we kind of missed here in the yeah. u.s and i think that we we, we we finally got to that in the, in the last couple of world cups so it's uh it's something that that that, that is great uh to see and i think that it's it's i mean it really is to me the greatest sporting event on the planet nothing even even comes close i'm i'm really 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 looking forward to it and uh who does who does better beat in the final <laughs> wouldn't it be beautiful i mean i would just fly in chile just to see it right <laughs> but, uh, to be honest with you like the other the other favorites that i see are, are, are teams like spain and, and brazil but i think it would be before that that we would reach them before you even get to the final but right uh, well you would see brazil in the final because they're on the other on the on the other half of the bracket but exactly. but but, I, but but you'll but you'll play spain you know once you beat argentina yeah then, then, then you'll play spain in the quarters so it uh you know, it won't get any easier for uh, for no. for the Blanquiroca on 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 their quest to make the final. Which is why, John, we need to remind the audience. You know, this is the heart speaking. This is not the head. Right, speaking. right, right. No, I, I understand completely. No, the, the, no, this is the Cantina. I mean, we're a little more reverent. You know, this isn't very serious soccer talk. You know, we're we're more. You know, it's uh, we do a lot of uh, you know, analytics and stuff. You know, we're also fans as well, and that's why that's why I enjoy. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I'm a big fan, and I think you're doing a great job. It's it's been so awesome to be on it, and and to be honest, it's, it's you know, I keep doing what you're doing. We need more of it because I think it's it's important to have this kind of great content and representation, and 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 you know, keep keep on hustling because I love it. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you very much for 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 hopping on the Cantina Mekis podcast. And uh, good luck to to you and all Peruvians this summer in the World Cup. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing them uh, make the knockouts. And uh, hopefully uh, they will uh, catch lightning in the bottle like they did both in Mexico 1970 and Argentina 78, where they had uh, just exemplary uh, tournament. In fact, uh, one thing I have read about the, the, the 1970 team that really kind of took the world by surprise was I think Pelé and all the Brazilians said the toughest match we had was the the quarterfinal against Peru? They ended up winning four two, but yeah. but they said that that it was far and away the toughest match that they had in that whole tournament. Yeah, I, I remember that, and I gotta tell you, like honestly, like when I read about it, and my uh, my dad would tell me about it, honestly, if it that match, I mean, Brazil ended up winning the whole thing. Can you imagine if Peru had won or whatever? Obviously, it was fighting against one of the best squads ever made. But yeah, I remember reading that. It's 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 quite amazing, quite amazing to see Peru. Back at the World Cup, arriba Peru. I want to see when they play Argentina in the round of 16. I want to see the sign that says "Recuerda 1969" for the for the, for the Argentines. Well, I know, so remember, Ricardo Gareca was the one that pretty much took us out of World Cup contention back in the 70s as well. So it's funny that uh, it goes full circle. That's remember, right. our co- our coach is Argentino, so that should be even more interesting. Well, Luis Miguel Chagaray, thank you very much for joining us here in the Cantina Mexico podcast. We will uh, we will definitely talk again. Thank you. Thank you so much.
That was Luis Miguel Echegaray that joined us uh, earlier today here on the Cantina Mekis podcast, and we were very, very happy to discuss uh, Peru and their chances in Group C. Obviously, he's very bullish on Peru, and who wouldn't be? I mean, after a 36-year absence, to uh, you know, at least in his lifetime, he was very—he was only one, one year, one year old when when Peru last made the World Cup to to to, to see. To, to not see your country participate in the World Cup and then the final seat, I'm sure has to be just uh, thrilling, not just for him, but for Peruvians all over the world. So uh, uh, we are back uh, live here at the Cantina Mekis podcast with our esteemed panel, as uh, it actually has grown a little bit uh, We were uh, while we were away, so to speak. Uh, we did notice that uh, our our esteemed colleague from Philadelphia – a gentleman who needs no introduction, but well, we're going to go ahead and 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 and, uh, and give it to him anyway if I can find it. There it is. Let's see. So then, you know, at least if he's asleep, we would hope they would wake him up. But but, but he has. Oh, he okay. All right, <laughs> all right. What's up, guys? Ron the Luna joins us from Philadelphia. Ron, you said uh, two weeks ago when you were last with us. And you were very, uh, very clairvoyant in your comments that you said you probably weren't going to join what, what turned out to be last week's show because no querías mostrar la cara for what was for for what you thought was going to happen, and sure enough, it happened. And America got bounced, and and like a true Americanista, we uh, we didn't see or hear from you for a week. <laughs> Yeah, John, I, I just locked the door and I started crying. I just, I just finally got out. <laughs> no, I was expecting it. I was expecting it. For, not, not, not so much that, that I thought that they were going to play, but I just didn't see, I didn't see the urgency in the team going after this tournament for some reason. Yeah. So you're like, like, like John Turturro in, uh, in, uh, what was it, uh, Miller's crossing. You're like, look into your heart. You know, and and it just, there was just nothing there, nothing there from from. I, I I just didn't see the urgency, you know. Not yeah. saying not saying that the players didn't try. I mean, I just I'm just thinking it from the top to the. I mean, I mean, you know, Toronto and them. I mean, the league, the league gave them you know preference and stuff like that. You know, it's like gave them time. You know, rescheduled and stuff like that. And it's like Liga Mekis, obviously, and and not that that happens. I mean. I mean, even when we used to play Copa Libertadores, I mean, sometimes you well, know, just, yeah, games on the same night. Exactly. So it's like <laughs> I, I, I kind of knew that this, you know, the one, this, you know, that Toronto came in better prepared in, in terms of, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, the altitude, in terms of, you know, uh, scouting and stuff like that. Where Tigres fell victim to it, America fell victim to it. I I I would I have I mean obviously you know this is pure speculation but you know if Chivas was probably up right now in the standings and 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 with a legitimate shot at at the title for Liga and Mekis I I think that they probably would have you know not cared about this this tournament this season but I think Chivas you know needs this I think Chivas needs you know this more than 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 America need, you know, than Antigas. Why, why do you think Chivas need it? Is it because they're just to say, so to say, rapidly awful in the league? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, is, 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 this, is this the worst this is the worst Chivas team you've ever seen, Ron? No. What's that? <laughs> What's that? Is, is this the worst Chivas team you've ever seen, Ron? Mm. 
Are you going to celebrate it, Joel? I mean, if she was yes, 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 I will. I mean, well, can international can tournament, Ron. Joel is going to fly to Guadalajara and go to the Minerva. Go to Minerva. Minerva is full of tears. But can we consider it a pro de championship or no? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, no. It's no official speaking tournament. Of, <laughs> now, speaking of the uh, of celebrating at the Minerva, uh, there was a there was a meme that I saw with uh, Necaxa, and it was Don Ramon, and he was the only one at the at the Angel de Independencia in Mexico City celebrating. <laughs> 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 It was Photoshop, <laughs> but it was hilarious because it was just like at the Angel, you know, there was nobody there, and he was just the only one celebrating Copa Mekis. And they and the fans organized a, like a like a like a like a protest to, to you know for, for the move, <laughs> like four people. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I shouldn't laugh about that, but it was just—it was just absolutely terrible for for. And that was the original Super Clásico, wasn't it, Ron? The Atlante Necaxa rivalry. That, well, that that was one of them because you had you had the Spanish teams, you had Asturias, and you had España, and, and then you also had Necaxa and Atlante. So they were. They uh, Mexico City, obviously, you know, the Primera Fuerza, which was the league. <laughs> You know, had you know, you had uh, España, Asturias, Atlante, Necaxa, America. They were they I mean they used to go at each other's throats. You know, what is it about Don Ramon that just? I mean, every time I see him, I just, I just die laughing. I mean, just I remember Martina Palacio for 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 a good years, like four or five years ago, had on his Twitter handle picture of of Don Ramon lying like Michael Jackson on the cover of Thriller. Man, <laughs> just yeah, killed. <laughs> he's like he's like a, a cult status, you know. Like I remember, like one of the last times that I was in Mexico City, and 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 I've told you this, guys. Like every time I go there, I always make it a point to 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 at least spend at least two full days over there by by uh, by Calle Donceles, where all those antique books are at, because that's where right. I find you know you know magazines and stuff like that. But it, it never fails. I'm always fine. I was I was like I was you know, everything. You know, it was like pirated and stuff like that. But you'd see like posters and shirts of 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 Cuauhtémoc, like you know, like you know, as a statue, or and and Don Ramon. I would always find those two images, and obviously the the wrestling images, you know. But Don Ramon just would crack me up, dude. You know. Yeah, it just. Uh, I mean, you know, he had such a great career. I mean, he was. Yeah, you know, he was the he was he was a champion's coach. I mean, you can't get any better than that. I mean, that was just out just outstanding for. Uh, <laughs> Ramon, so 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 back to I know that we had a, we had a chance to, to listen to uh, to Luis Miguel Chagaray, and, and I was hoping that you guys were were were, were going to join us, but I know that uh, sometimes our schedules don't uh, work the way that we want, and that we want to make sure we can accommodate our our guests when they come on. But uh, he, he, like I said, he's he's very bullish on uh, on, on on Peru, which which is great because uh, you know, like I mentioned in the interview, I mean, I've just. Uh, have always had a kind of like I mean Peru to me is just a, I have I've had a romance with them as far as uh, you know how they but just because when I was a kid they were just you know so fun to watch and were just a really entertaining team and I'm hoping I don't think that this Peru is that entertaining but I mean it, it's great to see a team like that back in the World Cup and hopefully they can you know um, hopefully they can uh, you know at, at least uh, you know make it to the knockouts and and then see where it goes from there so I'm, I'm really uh, 
I don't, I don't know if y'all feel the same way about Peru. It's, uh, I mean, I know, like for someone like Dan, I mean, or you've you've never seen Peru in a World Cup at all, so it's like Peru's like, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so it's, it's not it's, whatever uh, though. I, I I'm looking forward to seeing them. Yeah, and and I will say, you know, for national team uniforms, that they, they are they are very recognizable. I mean, you, you see a picture of them, you know exactly who it is, yeah. and you can't say that for a lot of teams. You know, there was there was a nice gesture from Cubillas when uh, the the under seventeen team that won in Peru. You know, with Vela and Giovanni and all those guys. That's right. Uh, it was it was in Peru. I forgot about my, that. Uh, the the coach uh, Jesus, he actually had Cubillas go into the dressing room, give them give them a pep talk. You know, give the guys a pep talk about you know about winning and stuff like that. And if I, and if I recall, I remember. The interview, Cubillas was a little upset that Peru's coach, or you know, the, the the delegation, you know, didn't didn't reach out to to players like of Cubillas and 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 the stars and stuff like that to try to motivate these young kids. And he's like, you know, I couldn't believe it that you know here you have the Mexican coach asking us to go into their dressing room. And, 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 and motivate, you know, their players and stuff like that. And it's like, well, what about our delegation, you know? So that right. was, that was, I thought that was always a really nice gesture from, uh, from Cubillas to do that. You know, and as we said, and, and, and I've seen him on TV, he's going to be on Telemundo for the World Cup, which is fantastic because, yeah, I mean, what, what a great guy. I mean, he's, he's entertaining, you know, he, uh, you know, and, and he's, you know, obviously he was a great player and he just, you know, uh, he's, I'm sure, and, and if I'm not mistaken, he was on the, uh, when Andres Cantor had his uh, football de primera radio when they broadcast the World Cup games, he had a. I think Cubillas was part of, part of that crew. I'm, I'm not sure if that's correct because, frankly, the crew was very big, and uh, yeah. it was, I, you uh, know, those are very entertaining uh, radio broadcasts. I don't know if you have y'all ever uh, catch any of the if you have, didn't get to watch it on TV, uh, listen to World Cup games on the radio with Andres Cantor, like a cast of thousands. It, it's very entertaining. As you were saying, Ron. No, so um, no, I actually, I totally forgot about the plane crash from Alancia Lima. You know, when I was hearing the recording, totally forgot that. And it's like, man, that's kind of like you know bad luck because I mean, like when Peru went to the nineteen seventy World Cup, there was a week, couple weeks before they were about to head out to to Mexico, the country had a massive, massive, or Lima had a massive uh, earthquake, and Peru's delegation they were like you know on the on the verge of not going and attending the World Cup in Mexico. But, uh, you know, I just... That's right. And then I, that I, tournament, it kind of like, it kind of helped the country heal a lot. Exactly. it was a very unifying experience. With that. Yeah. You know, because it's like, you know, they were playing for their countries. Well, literally, you know, to try to get, you know, give them uh, some, some, you know, something to, to smile about, you know, you know, with the, with the tragedy that was going back in their, back home. But I, to- I totally forgot about that, 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 uh, about that plane crash, you know, because I was like, man, just it decimated their uh, their their team for years. It did, and, and I was reading up on it um, this week actually, uh, and there were a, a couple of, of of really young players that were, I mean, you know, kids that had been, you know, were teenagers still, but had been playing for 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 the team for you know three or four years and and they were they they were considered the future of the of the national team just like these really talented teenagers and uh, i mean just it, it took Peru i mean it took them a long time to recover and you know and at that time and i was thinking about this when i was when i asked you know we we saw the rise of, of ecuador and and, and colombia to a certain degree although they were 
and against Colombia. And I got to thinking, especially about Ecuador. I mean, is Ecuador like Iceland? I mean, did did they get better because they played all those moleros against Mexico? Well, I mean, Ecuador. You know, they had their first World Cup was in two thousand two, and they had the Copa America in ninety three. So I mean, they started to start. They started to throw more money into their program. You know, like you know, going ten years back. Right. So, I mean that that probably had to do with it, and I mean, and, and, and not to take anything away from you know Colombia's great teams, but you know that mark that narco money also helped them out a lot. They also opened up their team to uh, their more athletic players. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's the only reason, but you know, money. I mean, you know, when when they when they were throwing the narco money around. I mean, those teams were reaching the you know the the the, the finals of the Copa Libertadores and stuff like right. that. So I mean, they got more exposure, and obviously Europe, Europe's you know started to watch them and and see these players. So I mean, it, I think it had to do with more, you know, with investing more money or putting more money into into their into their programs, and obviously with Ecuador, you know, with the Copa America in '93, that's that's actually the year that you know Mexico went. That was their first. Uh, Participation yeah. in Copa America. Do, do you remember who knocked the, Ecuador out of the tournament? Uh, Mexico did. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that was that was his first goal uh, in seven years. That, that goal that he scored in that in that, in that game it was his first one in yeah. seven years with Mexico. That's why, like for me, Mexico playing in, uh, against a host nation, it's like you tend to do pretty well. You know, be it Brazil, be it South Africa, be it you know. You name it, we actually do pretty well, and you know when we face host nations. But uh, anyhow, all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, and I don't know. It's just you know, I, I think I think uh, I mean I, I was reading some articles, you know, because this you know early this year, obviously they was like how many what thirteen, fourteen something proven players that are in Liga MX. Right. Um, so, I th- I think they're they're starting to 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 invest more money, making more money. So, I mean that always that always helps. You know, and and as Luis pointed out, this is a very young team, and and as we know, as the World Cup expands, uh, which it's going to, um, not necessarily the next one, but the one after, then you know, Peru should be, uh, you know, they they should they they should play in the in the World Cup moving forward. What one, one would think. If, uh, now, especially if they have a good tournament, so. So now, one we'll question. Yes, it's it's already a done deal. That going to 40, 40 teams, right? Forty-eight. For, for shit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. So Comebol, I think what I saw would get seven teams. So seven out of the ten. So if you're not one of the three to qualify, you must. You know, it's it's going to be harsh. Yes, yeah, so they get so, seven I mean, teams. I think you're going to expect. I think you're going to expect. You know, to see them. You know, you know, in World Cups and and for me, it's like. Eh. Well, the reality is, is, is that I would rather see the the seventh South American team in the tournament play than like the sixth Asian team or the you know the the tenth African team or the oh oh sixth without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I mean, because at least you know, I'm not saying that they're going to win, but you know, they're not going to lose ten nothing. You know, if they play. Yeah. You know France, so that's uh, that's what I would like to say. Now I do want to uh, 
touch on a, a very uh, a very sad subject this week. That this is the last game that's going to be played at the at the Estadio Azul, which was at one point the Estadio Azulgrana. Uh, Ron, if I'm not mistaken, it was called the Palacio de los Deportes at one point. And if I'm not mistaken, it was built when they dug out the Toreo, the, the Plaza Mexico right next to it. The yeah. soil that they used, that they excavated to build that, they used to make the, the bricks and the concrete and cement to make the the, uh, the 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 stadium there, which turned out to be the Estadio and it started off uh, not as a soccer stadium, but just like just like Seu started off as as a college football stadium. They, they, they used they they played college football there before they ever played soccer, which I thought was very interesting. And uh, everybody but Pumas, like Necaxa, that was the home for Necaxa. It was the home for America. It was the home for. Uh, for Cruz Azul, obviously, and then for Atlante. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Atlante, the one title they won, weren't they playing at that, at that time? The Azulgrana, was that their home stadium at that time? Uh, that was their home ground. That was their And And it looked cool because they, they, they did the, the pattern of the seats was, you know, blue seats, whatever that color is. What do you call that color? Claret, mm-hmm. burgundy, whatever. And then blue, so just in a, in a, in a nice little pattern. It looked, it looked really cool. I saw a picture of it this week. Uh, as so as on, the uh, history is uh, going by. Hold on, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Atlante, Atlante won, won in, when they were in Cancun. Right. They won another one. Yeah, with they beat Pumas. La, la, yeah, they won one with La Volpe when they beat Monterrey. Right. Uh, and that's it. And so I, it, <laughs> no, no, but so no. Did, did Atlante? I'm trying to remember. Did Atlante also win one during like in the 40s and 50s? They may have. I mean, at least in the modern era, I knew that that was that was all. The yeah, 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 yeah. That they all they yeah. accomplished. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and since and they actually and the first ever NFL preseason game that was ever played outside of, outside or in Mexico at least was was played at that stadium as well. So that stadium has yeah. uh, has quite the history. And so what's going to happen if it, it, now? You guys might correct me. Like I think this is this is what what the deal. The Cruz Azul is going to build a new stadium, and they're going to build a new stadium. Is it on the existing ground, or they're going to go somewhere else? But but in the meantime, they're going to go back to where Azteca. they played before at, right at the Azteca, which which you know what might might not be such a bad thing for Cruz Azul to to go back to the Azteca for a little bit. So hold on, is it a done deal that they're going to build a state a new stadium? Like that's the reason why they're why they're why they're why they're leaving because. Uh, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong, I have to, to double-check, but I believe what's going to happen is that the stadium's going to be demolished, and they're going to put a new stadium at the same site. And, and in the meantime, that's what was going to play at this time. Now, I could I know be that, wrong, but I think that's now, what's going to happen. What's going to happen with the bullring? Because from what I understand, uh, attendance and popularity of, 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 of the, uh, the bull fights are pretty low. In fact, that's why the dude from a, uh, you know, remember the the owner from uh, Veracruz, the uh, Rafael, which one? Rafael Herrera, yeah, who drew the short straw at the country club to to become the uh, next owner of Veracruz? Yeah. You know who I'm talking about, Rafael Herrera, or something like that. He he used to own. He was uh, one of the owners of uh, of Veracruz, and his. He, I know he he had some. Investments or monies in in the, in the whole uh, bull, you know, sport, bullfighting sport, 
but he got out of it because he said that they were just losing money hand over fist. You know. Sure. I'm wondering. I wonder. I wonder if that's if they're gonna that's gonna get torn down. Do you know that if that's gonna get torn down? I'm not sure. I, honestly, I I can't agree. But I, what I what I will say though is that uh, very close to where I used to live, uh, I we used to live to, to next to another buffet. It was called the Toreo, and it was uh, just south of Satellite on on the Periferico, and that was torn down, and that's now a shopping center. And in fact, the shopping center is called you know the Toreo Shopping Center, or whatever the Centro Toreo, whatever it is. So uh, that doesn't it would not I I, I plead ignorance I I don't I the honest I, I have no idea but it would not shock me if uh, if the Plaza Mexico at some point uh, goes away but it also wouldn't shock me if it stayed either so I have to admit I just uh, I just don't know so does Cruz Azul uh, do, do they made are they already out did did they uh... <clears throat> They do it to themselves. Joel, are, are they done? Are, are they in Chivas done? Yeah, they're they're out of contention. Yeah. La Cruz Azulearon. So we could go ahead and play the. I'm afraid I just blew myself. Yeah. Called called time of death on on Cruz Azul season with 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 pretty boy Caixinha as as their coach. He'll be back next year. One would one would expect. Like, what's the deal with uh, – I've, I've been so busy the past couple of days, but I've been reading something about Caixinha and, and Gullit. Like, they, they've been they, having they some caught, They caught Gullit oh, going – yeah, the, the lavadera. The word of the lavadera was uh, right after a training session, Gullit went to the nearby liquor store and just – he went to buy a bunch of booze. And uh, he got caught red-handed. Yeah, but then, you know, on top of that, then now Rabasel said that Hulit has problemas extra cancha, that if he, you know, we know once he gets straightened out, then he'll, he'll be back to being the player he was. So, yeah, poor... Uh, okay. It's pretty bad. I mean, I wonder if there's something going on. Because he went from national team material, literally one of the best Mexican, and overall best, best Mexican... played in a World Cup player. game. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's in that pool. If he if he said his, you know, if he said what he's shown he could be, he's definitely, you know, in, in and, a, and he's one of the few players that can really pull off a, a nice Jerry curl. I mean, that's, well, yeah, I, I was actually going to say about a Jerry curl. I think you know the Jerry curl's cute when you, when you start off, yeah. but I mean after a couple of years, I mean, you know, really, it's it's, it's like when the Cure got back together, thinking, wow, the Cure's on the Tonight Show. And you know it's been what twenty five years since they last performed. You're thinking, <laughs> you know, they're going to come out and look, and then Robert Smith comes out, you know, dressed like you know a, a, a ghoul. God, a, and you're thinking, dude, you're you're over fifty. Do you really have to dress like that? You know, can't can you just come out and makeup. Look? I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's. Uh, yeah, I want something happened to Gullit, man. Uh, so give him the doll and cut the Jericho. Now, uh, I think I was watching the, the news earlier today. Now, I think uh, Rafa Marquez, you know, is retiring what, after this match day, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't that think is he, the scuttlebutt. He's, re- he's retiring, but I think um, 
So I mean, he still wants to play up until the World Cup, something like that. He wants to go to the World Cup. He wants to he wants to retire as a player and then retire at the World Cup. Would you grant him that? Could you imagine poor Puerto Rico if if they sent Rafa Marquez on the World Cup team but not Pizarro? Different positions, huh? <laughs> but but Marquez has you know, but but I, I'm a bit confused because Marquez is he's part of the he's part of the player syndicate, right? Right. And he's kind of trying to go up against a gentleman's pact. So I mean, why would they want him there? You what you do with players like that? You know, you don't you don't give them a platform. You just make them irrelevant. Maybe you do. Maybe you kind of soften them up by sending them to the World Cup and yeah, say, hey. Water him up. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because there's this recent talk, right? They want to have a strike or something like that. Oh, I mean, I have heard that they were they wanted to strike. I don't think they'll, they'll, that that will happen, uh, personally, but... Uh... They have mentioned, it. And, and and I think that all I think what the players are asking for, and I wish they would just ask for, it, just just say, they might just say, just hey, when our contract's up, let us be free agents. You know, give us the opportunity as professionals to seek out our own deals. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Oh, that's not going to happen. John. They, they, they can do it in every other country but Mexico. Yeah, but but there's still some some type of like like. You're gonna have teams poaching players, especially from Europe, and taking them for free. And, and we've seen what happens when they do that. They usually don't value the player. They'll just end up giving them a few games and then loaning them out to a bunch of other clubs. But but we've seen it with some of the players that left that way. Then everyone loses. Okay, but I mean, so so again, they're, 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 it's okay for them to move freely everywhere else in the world except Mexico. Well, I don't think everywhere else. I, I think it happens in everywhere else. In the, no, I'm saying that a Mexican player can go and can after his contract up and go anywhere else in the world without any problem, except another club in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, but at that point, they're they're sort of screwing over. Like Pulido, he. He did a number on Tigres. You know, they invested so much in him. And then he just he just took off and he left for free on to Olympiacos, which they got their money back. Yeah, because of Chivas, you know, Chivas was desperate. But had that not been the case, you know, Polito would have been riding away in like some second division team right now. But, but, but again, but, but a player has that choice. I mean, not, not every not, not every story is going to work out that way. I mean, no, I know, but I, I just told myself. But, but the point is, Cole, is, is, is that he would rather do that, like 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 that's the option, or you know, you know, why 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 couldn't he go from Tigres to another team? No, I, well, I think he was kind of, I think he was saying advice because even Tuca even Tuca agree with me, you know. I'm not disagreeing with you, Cole. <laughs> and this isn't a, a specific. But I'm just saying, why can't he have that, that 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 same opportunity has everywhere else in the world? Why can't he have that in Mexico? Well, I mean, you just you just have to have it 
like in advance, usually like a year, a year in advance. Have what? Have what? In that you're gonna leave because why? It, because yeah, you do. It's, it's called it's called the final year of your contract. No, but but this way you you um you let the club work with you. So for example, when Marco Fabian returned to Chivas, he returned with a clause that if he, there was a if there was an offer from abroad, you know, he would be able to negotiate it. They wouldn't price him out. Same with Titan Salcedo. And, and that's a, you know, that's a reason they both left. The club didn't hold them back. So, I mean, you could do stuff like that. I think the clubs will work with you. But I suppose that, like, all of a sudden you, you know, I, I just think there's ways of doing it. No, I agree. But, I mean, it's it's not all of a sudden. I mean, your contract expires, right? Yeah. So so why is it that a player can't can't decide? Where he can play, you know, why is it that he get that he get well, that he gets moved around? Yeah, well, I mean, when when they expire, it's because they can't come to an agreement. So you have player right. money, more money, which was Alani's case. You know, he he wouldn't he wouldn't match his wage, yeah. so he wouldn't resign. And you got the case that we saw recently, where uh, some Spanish team is willing to take him once he's a free agent. And then Chivas is just freezing them out. Was was freezing them out. So once again, he can move anywhere else in the world as a free agent except somewhere else in Mexico. That's that. That's what the players want to get rid of. Well, I don't know, man. I, I mean. I'll have to be on the other side to see what's the reluctance from clubs to not want to do that. And I do feel that's part of it. That That's part of it. But this guy was saying, which was Higuera was saying that, you know, that overall they over, they are overpaying the players. So you might, we might get to see something where a percentage of players are going to be paid really good. And then, you're going to have a bunch of other players that are going to be making way less. So maybe that's a good thing where they're going to want to play harder to go abroad. Exactly. So lost a couple of guys because we could uh, 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 wrap it up here. But that, but that's the whole point was that that's what they want to get rid of in the back of the cup. They want to get rid of the player, the, the teams controlling the players after the contracts are expired. I don't see why that's, uh, that, that, that's such a, that, that's such a sin that the, that the players can't have that. I mean, I mean, they're professionals. They should be able to uh, given the opportunity once, once, once they have no contractual obligation with the side, they should be able to decide freely where they can go. Doesn't the team lose money though if that happens? But but, but how do they I mean the, the, I mean if if they wanted to make money on it then as I said in the last year you contract you or or at that point you say hey we're going to you you sign a like a 6 month whatever it is and that's part and then they, then they can do the part of the transfer fee. And then I get that. But the thing is is that you know that doesn't happen for every player. But then player A his contract is done, right? And you know the, the 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 team can then block him from joining other teams because 
because they can't. Yeah, that's pure corruption. And that's what the Pacto de Caballeros is. Yep. And and, and I mean, if players are allowed free agency, then I think it would be. Uh, I mean, it's like that everywhere else in the world. Why can't it be like that? Like I said, a Mexican player, once his contract is done, can go anywhere he wants except another team in Mexico. It's because these guys, all they all they care about is money. All they want is the money. So, yeah. It, I think I've said it before that they need to get they need to get hit hard to where it hurts. And I don't know if. Uh, uh, losing losing Conca champions to MLS, losing South American players to MLS might might ha- have some might do that. But well, we've talked about that last week, and, and you know, and Luis brought it up when we were interviewing him. He said that you know MLS is starting to get more and more young South American players, and and uh, you know, if 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 MLS South Americans end up being better than Liga MX South Americans, then you know, there's going to be Games are going to be a lot more competitive between the two leagues, and the, and I think I think I've seen something change because I remember years back we would always say League MX pays if you're going to make money you go to League MX instead of MLS, but now it's the opposite. It seems MLS has can pay the players better. I think even uh, Piojo said so, or somebody some coach said so. It might have been Tuco or Piojo, and uh, and if that's the case. That MLS is going to become the better league, the better attraction. Yeah, I mean it's 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 only it's only a matter that you know it's you know which is why if I were a young Mexican player and I got frozen out like that, I'd go wait a second. Minnesota United, you know, needs a whatever. Maybe I should go talk to them. This might be good though because if Liga MX loses uh, South American players, the better ones, um, they need a they need to maybe change their system and focus on the canteras, focus on the youth and start building instead, teams with instead of, uh, yeah, instead of yeah. The import importing league. Yeah, a guy from the third division in Uruguay. Yeah. Who, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, Chiquis, it looks like everyone has abandoned us for some reason. I guess, was it something we said? Yeah. Last minute obligations or something. Yeah, well, uh, it's uh, it's uh, well, we had, we had regardless of uh, I know we got a, a chance to briefly talk to Dan earlier, and then Ron came on for a few seconds, but it was great to have uh, Luis Miguel Chagaray join us here on the pod on the Cantina Mekis podcast. We do appreciate uh, him for that, and uh, as always, Chicas, I was hoping we get some phone calls, but we did not get any calls tonight. And I thought that we might get a few, but uh, we'll uh, we'll hopefully we'll have that again uh, for our uh, our show. Next yes, week. So, Chica, uh, I meant to ask you that they uh, did. Uh, do, do you see Peru advancing in the round of sixteen? Yeah, I, actually, actually, I think they do. I don't think it's going to be um, as hard as what Lise was was saying, but I do get his point about the the bunkering that these guys might do. But uh, I think they got a good enough team to to uh, if France messes up, possibly get into first place. Yeah, France is, not Argentina. <laughs> France is not going to mess up, but uh, uh, I do think that they that they, that they they can advance. In fact, well, I'd have to go back, but I th- I think that we we may, we may have we may have all been unanimous in picking them uh, right after, like in our immediate after the draw 
predictions that we made. Uh, and, and of course, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm going to probably choose them either way because just because I like them. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, they have a very good chance. Uh, that the game against Argentina is going to be difficult, but I think that you know, Peru is one of those teams that that kind of knows how to get under Argentina's skin a little more than others because they, because they do play them uh, on a more regular basis. And, uh, you know, if they, if they can hold on and then get in and get a set piece goal, I think that that would be a, a, a very sound strategy against Argentina knowing how, how they have uh, struggled to score in, in, in the world cup, especially in knockout games. I know they've made a couple of finals, but the, you know, for unless they're, but at least in the last world cup, they had that they barely eked by, uh, in the, in the knockouts and then penalties in the semis. So it could certainly work for them. And then, uh, you know, the, the, then they would probably get Spain in the quarter. So that would be, uh, that would be, that would be great to see, uh, Peru, Peru make a run like just, you know, any, any team that we're not used to seeing make runs like that, I think makes, make, makes World Cups interesting. But then obviously, you know, usually the, the, the best of the best rises to the top in, in, in World Cups as it almost always does. Yeah. So it, it's uh, it, it's been a while since we've had uh, somebody new, you know, make their first World Cup final appearance. It's been a, it's been a good long while. So maybe we will uh, get to see that in Russia twenty twenty eighteen. Chickies, thanks very much for 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 all your help and and, and getting all this set up as you always do. And uh, and uh, thanks for uh, hey, hopping you. on earlier with Denise uh, as well. And uh, thanks to uh, Juela Seves, who had to uh, jump down, as well as uh, Ronda Luna and Daniel Preciado. A, a big thanks to Luis Miguel Chagaray from SI.com for joining us here on the Cartina Mekis podcast. My name is John Jagu. Thank you all for joining us. do appreciate it. Uh, we are on here live every Thursday night, usually around 9.30 p.m. Central. And uh, we go on for about two hours, uh, usually probably closer to two and a half. And uh, you can also download this podcast and all of our previous editions from the podcast center on iTunes. And of course you can also subscribe to this podcast and it'll be automatically updated on your device, which we would uh, love. And, and, and a big thanks to everyone that, that does that. We do appreciate it. My name is John Jagu. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us here on the Cantina Mekis podcast.